Hey everybody, just Mike here. Did a little bit of a different episode this week as a little bit of a bonus as we go in between franchises here. So to kick off your Memorial Day, which is when this is going to drop, we have our script reading of Carrie Fukunaga's It Chapter 1. It is a bit of a beast of an episode. It is pretty raw. There's not a lot of editing that went into this, um, but we just thought it was kind of a fun little treat. I'm just going to drop in here really quickly to say, if you enjoy this or any of our other shows, please do us a favor. Go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Every time you leave a rating and write us a review, it helps and it helps find us. It's really important to us. Uh, if you want to help us even more, you can go to patreon.com, the pod and the pendulum, or patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum. Become a patron of the show today and get access to all of our bonus full-length episodes, as well as a bunch of other odds and ends on there, depending on the I'm going to leave it at that and let the show begin. We hope you enjoy this. Hey everyone, welcome to a very special edition of The Pod and the Pendulum. We are resurrecting our script readings for unmade movie scripts. This is the first one we've done since Halloween 4 in Derek uh, Derek Etchison's script. So I'm really excited. We have like some returning players and a ton of new faces tonight. So this is going to be, I think, the largest cast we've ever had. So look forward to a very sloppy mess uh, within about 45 minutes. Uh, tonight, we are proud to present to you It Chapter 1, the second draft of Carrie Fuganaga's unused and absolutely batshit insane script um, for the 2017 um, first installment of It. I am your host, Mike Snoonian. And since we have a very, very long script to get through, we are just going to introduce our players and get right to it, starting with our first stage director. Oh, that's me. I'm sorry. I thought you would introduce me. Uh, I'm sorry. We'll let you guys introduce yourself. Already, already, already going great for me. Uh, I am <laughs> Jim Rohner uh, is my name. I am the co-host of the Cast of Cthulhu podcast, which is a film review podcast uh, discussing titles adapted from and inspired by uh, the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I have been listening to a lot of best movies never made. So as soon as Mike posted this, I, of course, invited myself in. Uh, as soon as I possibly could. So excellent. Hi, I'm Jessica Scott. Um, I'm a film writer and um, terror vision fanatic who haunts Twitter at We Who Walk Here. Uh, come say hi to me. And this is my first ever script read, so I'm very, very excited. Welcome aboard, Jessica. Thank yeah. you. Hi, I am Taffeta V. Um, I will be reading the stage directions tonight. I'm a wardrobe mistress, and uh, lately I've been occupying myself in the middle of the night uh, by um, trying to reinvent uh, old school late night FM DJs. And you can listen to that through the pinned link on my Twitters or just go right to my website, taffetav.com. Uh, up next, me. Oh, my bad. I am playing stuttering Bill Denbro. And I am Sloan. I am playing Pennywise. You can find me on Twitter at Pierogi Witch. That's P-I-E-R-O-G-I Witch. 
I'm Julian. I'm going to be playing Richie Trashmouth Tozier, and I am I'm a horror and sci-fi writer, and I also have an obsession with It Chapter Two and Richie's arc that I like to think makes me the preeminent scholar on It Chapter Two, but probably doesn't mean that at all. So, I'm Nicole, and I'm going to be playing Beverly Bev Marsh, and I can be found on Twitter at Nicole in DC. And I am the host of Bodies of Horror, a podcast that looks at horror through a disability lens. If I had a pet goldfish, it would be playing Stanley, but there's no <laughs> goldfish. I think that makes me next. My name is Molly Henry. I am a film critic, freelance entertainment writer. Um, probably easiest way for you to find my stuff is just on Twitter at Blogging Banshee. And I'm going to be playing Eddie, which I'm very excited about. He is my favorite. And I'm going to be channeling my dad, who is also a hypochondriac for this performance. So, <laughs> uh, My name is Brian Kuiper. I'm a regular contributor at uh, Bloody Disgusting, uh, Manor Vellum, a few other places. And um, I'll be playing. Oh, also, I got to mention, I am the co-host of the Movies for Life podcast. And I'm playing Ben. Um, I'm Katie Wallace. I am playing Mike Hanlon. And I am a sixth grade science teacher. So there's that. Yay, science. <laughs> oh, I'm Jay Allery, a Canadian bon vivant, playing George, Georgie, uh, and Mr. Marsh. I am uh, assistant editor and contributor at Grumpire and soon to be monthly columnist at uh, the Daily Grindhouse. You can find me on Twitter at Julius Barthelmy. Excellent. Yo, yo, my name is Devon Taylor. I am the host of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club podcast. It's a podcast where I get real stoned, invite some guests on, and we talk about uh, the subgenres of horror movies and uh I'm a writer and photographer and video person. You can find me at underscore daddy disco on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, hello, my name is Melissa Jerkowski. I will be reading for Snatch Huggins and Mrs. March or Mrs. Marsh. And I am the, I have a podcast called the Good Evening Kitties podcast. That's at Gek Podcast there in my screen. You can follow me on Twitter, but it's a podcast all about uh, Tales from the Crypt. I break down all the episodes and movies for that show. And then I also review horror movies. Whoops, the stoner forgot to mention what character. I'm playing Henry Bowers, by the way. Devon is Henry tonight. <laughs> I, someone will randomly shout out Leroy Hanlon's lines. Moving on, moving on. Tight ship, tight ship, excellent. Hi, I'm Tifa. You can find me at the Chickapedia on Twitter. I don't currently have a podcast. I want to start a podcast. I want to be on podcasts. And also I am reading for Victor Chris. Oh, and I am, um, I fucked up already, but I'm also um, Greta, the mean girl and Someone else I know. Hold on. Zach Dambaro. Excellent. Right, I'll just uh, run through this. Jay, you're also going to be playing Sharon Denbro. 
Yes. And I will be quiet now. <laughs> um, I, my name is Ryan Healy. Uh, I'm an aspiring screen and comic book writer. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Daniel Healy. I also don't have a podcast, but I would like one and I'd like to be on one. And I am playing the following characters. Mrs. Krasbrek, uh, the bingo caller, Mr. Keen, child's voice and translator. Uh, hello, my name is Stephen Foxworthy. I am the co-host of the Disenfranchised podcast, where my co-host Brett Wright and I talk about movies that wanted to be franchises so very, very badly, but weren't. Uh, one movie in and it all fell apart. Uh, and uh, you can find me on the social medias at, um, at Chewy Walrus. You can find my podcast at Pod. And uh, I will be playing pretty much everyone else. They say there are no small small parts, but I've amassed quite a few of them. Um, I will be playing Rabbi Chief Borton, Floyd Calderwood, Officer Bowers, Pilgrim Leader, Middle School Girl Number Two, Clerk, Family Friend, and Butch Bowers. And then, actually, Taffy, I think I have you playing the librarian, Miss Start, in. The Pilgrim's Wife. And before we start, Melissa, could you take over for Patrick Hockstetter? Uh, yeah, sure. Excellent. Okay. And Tiffa, could you take over for Leroy Hanlon? I sure can. Excellent. Okay. Wonderful. And there is absolutely no need, folks, to mute ourselves. Like we encourage interaction as we do this script. So laugh, joke around, have fun. Um, so don't feel the need to mute yourself when you're not reading. Just don't like scream at people as they're reading. I could. <laughs> that's a dangerous <laughs> game to play when people have pets as well. That's okay. Yes. That's okay. Yeah, some of, some of our pets might make cameos. That is any fireworks so. on the Zoom. Okay. <sighs> So listeners, grab your snacks, grab your popcorn and settle in and we are good to go in three, two and one. Also, by the way, I'm one of the narrators. I forgot to introduce that. Uh, I think you did. But, I thought so. So I, yeah. I did not, but that's kind of you. So I'm oh. going to begin narrating. How about we? Fair enough. <laughs> Open on rain, lashing a window pane, a piano plays somewhere off screen. Charlie Eve's Sonata Number no. 2 for piano. Interior Will's Attic Playroom, Day. Charlie Denbro, 7. Nervous, eager, sweet. Sits on the floor folding drawings of war into the form of a paper boat. His brother Will, 13, is in bed, surrounded by tissues, playing video games and glancing over every so often to check on Georgie's progress. Get the wax in the basement. Georgie looks hesitant, scared even. You want to float, don't you? Georgie goes. Cut to title card, October, 1988. Interior Will's house, day. Georgie hurries downstairs, catching a glimpse of their mother, Sharon Denbro, 30s, in the parlor playing piano. She smiles at her son running past. Interior kitchen, Will's house, day. Georgie's stomach sinks as he comes face to face with the basement door. He scowls to steady himself, ready to face the blackness behind it. Interior Will's attic playroom, continuous. A walkie-talkie squawks next to Will, the sarcastic voice of Richie Trashmouth Goldfarb, 
13, his neighbor, filters through the static speaker. Oh, Willie boy. Over. Will, annoyed, picks up the walkie and looks through his rain-blasted window. Richie. They wave at each other. Richie, bug-eyed glasses, turns the wave into a middle finger. Get your ass over here. It's all warmed up. Over. He holds up a Sega remote control. Can't. I'm sick. Is it venereal? Over. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering what the tissues were for. (laughs) Interior (laughs) cellar door. Continuous. Flinging the door open, George ventures his arms into the dark void. He gropes around and finds the light switch. Nothing. George snatches his arm back. The dark basement glares back at him, taunting. Will cacaws, an animal-like noise that Georgie responds to with a different animal. Depending on what the sound is, the word ends with. For example, a cacaw would need to have an ah at the beginning of the next call. This is the second time I've read this. I still don't understand what that means. <laughs> Georgie responds with his own with his smoke-throated baby bird. Ahoo. Oh! Interior the lights will- are out. Oh, sorry. The lights are out. Interior Will's attic playroom is continuous. What the hell was that? Will coughs hard into a tissue, half impatient, half joking. Every time Georgie goes down to the basement, he thinks he's going to die. Seven-year-olds are pussies. Uh-oh, battery. No, wait. Will turns off the walkie-talkie. You can do it, Georgie. You're not afraid of the dark. Interior kitchen, Will's house, continuous. Peering down the stairway at the dark cellar, Georgie studies the contents of the room below. A dark figure, still and hunched over in the corner, causes him to freeze. Further examination reveals the specter to be a wooden shelf. Off his brother's encouragement, interior cellar Will's house continuous, George scrambles down four steps to the cellar shelf and sifts through junk as fast as he can. Shoe polish, rags, a broken flashlight, an old can of turtle wax, a dusty bag of colored balloons. He grabs a box of paraffin near the back of the shelf and hurries back up the stairs as we quickly track towards him, about to pounce. The door slams in our face. Interior Will's attic playroom, day. Will melts a chunk of paraffin with a match in a ceramic bowl, then dips his finger into the hot liquid and smears the wax along the sides of the boat. I knew you weren't scared of that dark old basement. There you go, Captain. It's all ready for you. They both grin, the cozy room full of cheerful, brotherly love. Thanks, Willie. Don't forget your rain gear. Mom will blow a circuit. She's not watching. Do it. Do you want to get sick like me? Georgie goes. Will looks at the rain lash window, piano still playing. He's suddenly filled with a sense of foreboding. And be careful. Don't talk to any clowns. <laughs> <laughs> Exterior Witcham Street Day. If only Georgie had listened. A dead traffic light sways overhead, its dripping black lenses gazing back at a boy in a red slicker and galoshes. Georgie races down the street past dark houses after his paper boat, which sluices along a gutter swollen with rushing rainwater toward the intersection. Angle on the dripping street signs, Witcham and Jackson. Rain taps on Georgie's hood, sounding to his ears like rain on a shed roof, a comforting, almost cozy sound. The buckles of his galoshes make a merry jangle as he goes. The boat whistles past whistles. It's a paper boat. The boat whistles past a blockade of sawhorses marked Department of Dairy Public Works, where a gouge in the blacktop sends it sweeping diagonally toward a storm drain. Crap! 
George races after, almost slipping and breaking his butt. He gets to the paper boat just as it surfs up to the drain, circles around twice, and is swallowed up. George looks ready to cry. Oh, crap. Will's going to kill me. Well, somebody will. (laughs) (laughs) Me? (laughs) Foreshadowing. He peers into the storm drain, water falling into darkness. A dank, hollow sound comes from within, the boat kicking in and out of the shadow. Georgie snakes his arm through the grate, reaching for the boat, his nose pressed against the curb. Just as he's about to get it, a face appears. A greasy, white face. George recoils from the storm drain, spooked. That's when a voice, a sad voice, rises up. It's your boat! Georgie looks around, hoping someone else is nearby, but it's just him in the torrential rain. Unseen by Georgie, an old woman watches from the window of a house behind the storm drain. Cut to POV from the old woman's house. She turns her attention back to her cat, scraping the wet innards of a can of tuna into a plate on the windowsill. The cat meows. Meow. Back to Georgie. It's a nice bow. Floats. Georgie looks back at the drain. Deep inside there, lingering just on the edge of the shadows, is a clown. (laughs) No one could have seen that coming. (laughs) Not Bozo or Ronald McDonald, but something more. I almost said Ronald Reagan, but something more. (laughs) That's scary. Pretty close. Close enough. I mean, possibly. (laughs) But something more old world, freakish, like that of a 19th century acrobat, bald, lithe, almost childlike. Pennywise. That definitely describes Ronald Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) And me. (laughs) Why why in the sewer? Oh, the circus said not to say. How come? They don't let me in on that stuff. I just do my tricks for the kids. You look like a nice boy. I'll bet you have lots of friends. Three? But my brother is my best friend. This is my best best. George glances at the paper boat, now kicking between Pennywise's gnarly white feet. Pennywise picks up the boat. Your best best? Is this his boat? He made it for me. A big grin swells across Pennywise's face. That's a good brother. Where is he? In bed. Sick. Let me cheer him up. I'll bring you both to the circus. Uh, he won't want to go. Why not? There's cotton candy and bearded women and all the balloons your brother could want. He's 13. He thinks balloons are dumb and clowns are dumb. Mm, Tell me more about these bearded women. (laughs) (laughs) Sexy. Very, very sexy. Pennywise's face turns a dawning awareness. Well, what? That's not a sentence. Well, well, you. Oh, I, I can't read. Well, you don't, do you? George. (laughs) I'll just take you then. I don't know. I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. Smart parents, smart parents. Well, I'm Bob Gray. Pennywise to my friends. What do they call you? Georgie. Georgie? No, we aren't strangers, are we? 
Georgie shrugs, still not convinced. I promise I'll have you back in time for dinner. Give me your hand. We'll shake on it. You're still a stranger. I don't want to talk to you. Okay. Shake and give me the silent treatment. Zip your lip up and shake. With his left hand, Pennywise pretends to zip his own lips while offering his right to the sewer drain. And I'll give you back your boat. Pennywise holds George's boat out of his drain with his right hand. Georgie reaches out both hands, his left, his left to receive the boat, his right for a handshake to signal their friendship. Cut to the old woman's POV again. The cat devours its food, the old woman pleased with his appetite. <laughs> <laughs> she hears a scream and looks up, rising and dropping, rising and dropping the can of food and heading for her door as quickly as her decrepitude permits. Rack focus, Georgie's ragdoll body flung left and right at the mouth of the storm drain. The boy in the red slicker is pulled out of sight. As the old woman totters from her building, staring in terrified wonderment at the storm drain across the street, which has swallowed Georgie Denbrough whole. Smash cut to a wide shot of glacier-cut mountains. Music soars. The building climaxes to an overture we had not previously noticed. Then silence. Title card, June 1989. Exterior, dairy, aerial, same. In the shadows of glacier-cut mountains rests the town of Derry, Maine, settled on a crosscut of the Penob, some river, and some <laughs> other stream. The Pen- Penobscot? And Kanduskeg? Penobscot and Kanduskeg. It's indigenous. <laughs> well, now I feel like a jerk. No, no. Well, no, you're, you're doing great. No, no, no. It's it's a it's a sturdy, picturesque northeastern town like any other. It's rough-hewn industrial past bleeding through a gentrified, decaying present. Tilt straight down to Dairy Middle School, interior Dairy Middle School lab day. Will Denbrill, thirteen, handsome and gaggly, a boy straight out of a Sally Mann photo, still haunted by the memory of his little Nice. He holds a goldfish in a bag. The aforementioned Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> quietly talks oh, to Eddie Capsbrack, 13, a boy abnormally small for his age, his EpiPen Jr., an adrenaline injector for kids with life-threatening allergies, holstered in his medicine-filled fanny pack, and Richie Goldfarb, 13, the neighbor with the walkie-talkie, a video game and swimsuit model freak who secretly is more interested in the swimsuits than the models, because you could definitely pick this up just looking at this kid, <laughs> with bug-eyed glasses and a kippa. All three lean over the lab table, itching for the minute hand, itching for the minute hand to reach the thirty-minute mark of the fourteenth hour, unleashing the ringing bell that will end their eighth-grade school year. I swear this clock is rigged. They slice part of his penis. He's purposely making us sit until the last second. Look, other classes are already getting out. Richie rotates from flipping off a teacher to his back to flipping off Eddie. Oh, they already did that. It's like a rite of passage, right? My ticket to puberty and a fully combed out fro on my balls. I read a verse and the seventh dimensional door opens where I slay my Ronin master over a pit of death. I win. My schlong goes another six inches. You'll need more than a bar mitzvah for that. Just your mom's Victoria's Secret catalog. It's Spiegel. She gets Spiegel. What's the difference? With Spiegel, you get to use your imagination. Fuck that. 25th anniversary swimsuit issue. Hands down the best rub I've ever had. Interior Dairy Middle School Classroom, day. Beverly Marsh, 13, tosses a cloud of auburn hair away from her wary green-gray eyes. 
Her clothes are neither new nor name brand. Proud but not conceited. She's the envy and natural enemy to all popular girls. She looks over as Trevor, <clears throat> Travis Bowers, 15, a sadistic tower of prematurely developed muscle who leans over a pudgy boy in high-waisted jeans, Ben Hanscom. Let me see the fucking answers. Ben tries to move his test out of Travis's eyeline as Travis flicks him in the ear. I will break your... Mr. Bowers, please don't make me spend another year with you. The you teacher... Wish. I really do. <laughs> I long for you. <laughs> the teacher points for Travis to change seats. Ben watches him move as Travis grabs his test and mimes hanging himself from a rope to Ben. A bell rings. Interior Dairy Middle School, day. Doors fling open and rowdy 6th, 7th, and 8th graders spill out into the halls like sheep. Books are hurled in the trash, lockers emptied out, paper strewn all over. Summer is officially commenced. Swept up among this madness is a group of pretty popular girls, some in field hockey uniforms with pleated skirts they rolled up extra short and carrying their sticks. I'm a little uncomfortable with the description of children in this movie. The prettier leader, Greta, notices someone off screen. If I have to see that bitch one more time this summer. We pan to Beverly. A girl next to Greta drops her backpack to her side and fishes out a field hockey ball from his front pocket. I think I can handle this? Teeing up the ball, she smacks it towards Beverly's shins. Quick, a startled Beverly lifts one leg and the ball hits the lockers behind her with a loud clang. Sure, uh, sure. Ah, sorry. Sure know how to spread him, slut. <laughs> nice. Peals of laughter from the popular girls. Beverly turns and darts down the hallways so they can't see the reddening of her face. Run, bitch! Exterior emergency <laughs> exit. Dairy High School, day. Ben lingers with his bike in the courtyard there. The door opens behind and Beverly steps out, Ben blocking her way. You gonna let me go by or is there a secret password or something? Sorry. He steps aside. Beverly tiptoes past, lighting a cigarette like a pro. <sighs> Sorry is not a password. His brain freezes, searching for a response. Beverly smiles to relax him, offers a smoke. He refuses. She shrugs, inhales, and blows a smoke ring in his face. Travis. So cool, Brewster. <laughs> <laughs> Travis is staying late to finish the test, so there's no need to hide. His friends, too. That's convenient. It really is. Assholes traveling in packs are easier to avoid. You're the new kid, right? I'm... Beverly Marsh. A little too uh, quick. <laughs> His ears turn red with embarrassment. I just know because you we were in social studies uh, together in the same class. You were... I'm Ben. Bev smiles knowingly. Ben is crushing on her. He holds out his yearbook, sheepish. Uh, sign my yearbook? Bev oh. opens it and sees she's the first and only to sign it. Her heart breaks a little for him. She writes, stay cool, and signs her name with three hearts. Ben notices a faint yellow bruise on her forearm. Bev notices him noticing. Stay cool, Ben from social class. Uh, you too, Beverly. Bev waves for him to go, totally smitten. Ben misses the cue. Hey, IT. Finally getting he should leave and yet feeling brilliant for an instant, 
get laid in the shade. <laughs> and immediately regrets it, saying it as he should. Burning with shame, he hops on his bike. We follow Ben through the parking lot past a dairy police booth where a little gathering of cops eat donuts, Chief Borton among them, not doing jack shit. The school marquee reads, remember the curfew, 7 p.m., dairy police department. Exterior, Hanlon's Burger Joint, day. A streamliner trailer attached to an old Ford pickup surrounded by picnic benches. Leroy Hanlon, 40s, flips thir- three cheeseburgers onto buns, stacks on lettuce and tomatoes, and places them in a cardboard box atop a pile of fries. Order up. His son, Mike, 15, a wiry and confident boy, busses out the order. The joint is hopping with kids fresh out of school. He comes to a table with Will, Richie, and Eddie and throws down the burgers, which are wrapped in newspaper. Hey, homeschool, you forgot my shake. For the last time, it's Mike, Townie. Which, which one of these is the well done? Eddie, just eat fucking thing. Sorry. Yesterday, that piece of meat was on a living cow. Well done or not, can't get any rawer than that. Shake's coming up. Mike heads off, taking no shit from nobody. Will smiles at his swagger. Eddie just looks at the burger disgusted. Now I'm supposed to eat this? One man's loss. Richie grabs the burger and is about to take a bite when... Guys, look! Will points to the street where sleepless and desperate woman lurks. This is the mother of Dorsey Corcoran, who scans the throngs of burger-eating kids with desperate eyes. Jesus, she think he's been hiding out under the shake machine the last three weeks? Jesus, he's on our team. Thanks for... will never find him? Sure, in a ditch. All decomposed, covered in worms and maggots and smelling like Eddie's mom's But Travis Bowers checks Richie off his seat. Move, you little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) The contents of Richie's backpack spill everywhere. His glasses knock off. Travis walks past with two sidekicks. Meet Snatch Huggins, 13, and Victor Chris, 16. One a lunkhead oaf, another a scrap and scab junkyard dog type. Victor grabs Will's goldfish and tosses it. Look, flying fish. Will goes after it, but it lands on the griddle. The fish instantly fried. Traumatized, Eddie starts to hyperventilate. He unzips his fanny pack, pulls out his EpiPen Jr., and pricks himself. What's this? Snatch picks up one of Richie's video game magazines, a torn-out J.C. Penney's men's underwear ad slipped between the pages. Oh, what? Would you be saving this for Israel? Travis flings it at Richie, who's gone beet red. I didn't tear that out. Yeah, yeah. Keep telling yourself that. The bullies move on to the parking lot. Will helps Richie up. Thanks for having my back. What what can we do? They're bigger than us. Mike helps clean the mess, hands back Richie's cracked glasses. A slug in the nose hurts no matter how big you are. I didn't see you stepping up. I was busy getting homeschooled. Oh! (laughs) Eddie's sneezing subsides (laughs) as he looks at the smashed bag that once held the goldfish. They cooked Stanley. Mike Mike returns to Leroy, who scrapes off what's left of the fish from the griddle. He skunk eyes Travis and his crew as they jump into his Trans Am and squeal out into the road. And you want to know why I keep you away from these people? Interior, Will Denbro's house, day. Dust collects on the 
faintly sound the ticking of a clock and the distant yelling of playing children. Will comes in the kitchen door, throws down his backpack, and starts sifting through mail, coming across a brochure for Acadia Park. His face lights up. Hey, Ma. She's watering a couple plants, staring into the corner, mind a million miles away. Only when one overflows and spills onto her shoes does she snap out of it. I mean, Will, you could have said something. She rushes past and grabs a rag. Will, that you? Will's dad, Zach Denborough, 40, calls from the upstairs play attic. Will goes over and looks up the stairs. I'm up here now. Interior, Will's attic playroom, day. His dad stands in front of a scale model of the dairy sewers made out of hamster tubes built in a slop sink shower in the corner. It's an immense labyrinth. What did I say about this? Before you say anything. Will. Dad, please, I want to show you something. Will grabs a He-Man action figure on the tool bench and sticks it in the tubes. He turns on a hose, sprays it at the model, and the He-Man goes sweeping through the plastic tunnels, shooting into the drain marked Barons. Will turns off the water. Barons, Dad. What if Georgie... Georgie's gone, Will. But we could find... He's gone. Zach folds a sewer map that Will had stapled above. Now take this down, and next time you take a sewer map from my workshop, ask permission. Gut-punched, Will starts disassembling the model. Water leaks from the mouth of the hose and pools slowly at his feet. A sinister tremor disturbs its surface, or the reflection of a face. Interior, Dairy Synagogue, Day. Richie and the rabbi, a.k.a. Richie's dad, read from the Torah. Richie is repeating and learning pronunciation of the words for his bar mitzvah, using a pointer to keep track of where he is. He's fidgeting. Would you be still, Richie? Sorry. You've been listening to your tapes? Can't I just lip sync it? I gotta take a leak. The rabbi takes off his glasses. This isn't a joke. How will it look if the rabbi's son can't even finish his Torah portion? Richie crosses one leg over the other, holding it in. The rabbi squares Richie up by the shoulders. Answer my question. You trying to embarrass your mother and I? No, sir. Or this temple congregation? No, sir. He hands Richie the scroll. Do you even know where this goes? Past your office. That pool thing? The mikveh. Past the bathroom to the closet thing. Geniza. Interior dairy synagogue downstairs, moments later. Richie takes the rounded staircase that spirals into the deeper foundations of the building. Holding the scroll, Richie puts the scroll in the geniza. Having to pee, he goes to the bathroom door. It's locked. His need to urinate reaching a crisis point, he groans and looks to interior, synagogue, mikveh, same. Richie walks in, lowers his fly, and relieves himself in the pool. We see something walk down the hall behind him. He turns, quickly zips up his pants. A light comes from a room down the hall he could swear was closed. Dad? Unaware, water overflows behind him from the mikveh, streaming past his shoes. Richie looks down, freaked, slams the door as if that will make it stop. The water backs him down the corridor in front of the open room. Interior clerk's office, day. It's filled with talent or prayer shawls hanging from ranks. A young man, Pennywise, unusually handsome, clean and fit for the environs, sits in the corner steaming them. Who are you? Where's Mason? Oh, sorry. The, shit. the man smiles. Out sick. Your dad asked me to replace him. The mikvah has stopped up. The water floods in past his feet. 
You shouldn't have used it as a toilet. Richie goes red. I won't tell the rabbi if you won't. It was an emergency, I swear. I heard you were having trouble with the readings. The man places his hand on Richie's, which he notices is now unnaturally pale, almost bone white like a cadaver's. We could study down here, in private. Richie sees a clown's cuff peeking from under the man's sleeve. He quickly jerks his hand away. Mason told me what you really want. Richie runs out of there as Pennywise eyes him, smiling. I wear that underwear you like. Jesus. Interior <laughs> bingo hall day. <laughs> you didn't write it. <laughs> Interior bingo hall day. <laughs> Ping pong balls with numbers on them dance around in midair inside a bingo blower. One is sucked to the top, plucked out, and read aloud by the bingo caller on stage. B13. Mrs. Casbrack. An enormous 300-pound woman who takes up an entire bingo table, thanks for that, claps like a giddy schoolgirl. She hands her son Eddie the bingo chip. Just one more, Eddie Bear. Eddie places the bingo chip. He hears someone to him from a kitchen attached to the hall. It's Will, who peers in from the door, waiting for Eddie to come. Eddie shakes his head, stuck. The bingo balls start dancing on air again. Will scampers through the sea of bingo tables and elderly people with his head down up to Eddie. Hey, Mrs. K. Can I borrow Eddie this afternoon? Where are you boys off to? Uh, Just my backyard. We got a new slip and slide. She looks them over, assessing whether this is a lie. My parents will be supervising? A number is called. C- Eight. An old man a few tables down raises his hands in joy. Bingo! 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 Bingo is apparently spelled with a C now. Don't ruin this for me. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone looks his direction, deflated. Mrs. Kasprak slaps down the chip, discouraged. Sweetie, just don't go rolling around on the grass. You know how your glands get inflamed. I know, Ma. I'll take good care of him, Mrs. K. Eddie jumps up to leave with Will when Mrs. Kasprak's meaty claw matches, snatches his wrist. Give Mom a kissy kiss. Involuntary and close, Eddie gives her a peck on the cheek. Exterior Kansas Street Day. Will and Eddie bike down the street. Richie comes riding up behind. Hey, hold up. They skid to a stop and Richie rolls up. I thought you had due practice. Richie suppresses his horror. He wants to say something, but doesn't. Instead, he sniffs his armpits. Still 100% Jew. Where are you two goofs off to? Where you think? Interior public library day. All green globes, curving iron staircases, and shadowy charm. Ben explores the stacks, a labyrinth of aisles and nooks where a pair of eyes, two aisles away, can stare at you through the stacks. Thump. The librarian, Mrs. Sterrett, in her 50s, slaps a dusty old book on the stool behind Ben, who startles. I found it behind the radiator in the basement. Uh, Thanks, Mrs. Sterrett. Why wasn't it in the stacks? (laughs) 
Mrs. Starrett offers a thin smile. Isn't it summer vacation? I would think you'd be ready to take a break from the books. I like it in here. He glances at a newspaper found on the table there. Headline with a grisly photo reads, Body found by canal, not Corcoran boy. My mom works two jobs, so it's better than being home alone. Well, a boy should be spending his summer outside with his friends. Don't you have any friends? Interior, same, later. Ben slides the dusty old book to him. Its jacket reads, A History of Old Dairy by Branson Buttinger. He glances up towards the window just as the three boys race by on their bikes. He takes a sullen breath and opens the book. Flipping through, he finds photos have been defaced, scratched over with a red pen so that they all resemble, yes, that's right, a clown. This goes on for page after page, from loggers drinking their beer in the silver dollar in the 1880s to little kids on an Easter egg hunt in the old ironworks in 1905 to FBI men standing over a bank robber's bullet-riddled getaway car in the 1930s. He finally comes to a page. What are you looking for, Ben? Ben slams the book shut and pushes it away. He looks around the library, spooked. Mrs. Starrett blithely stamps books behind her desk. Everyone goes about their business. Plunk. A quarter spins around in a glass jar just behind him, thrown in by a one-armed man wearing a USS Indianapolis cap. He takes out a stamped postcard from a tray there, a postcard tacked above the reading. Libraries are for writing, too. Why not write a friend today? A light goes off in Ben's head. Interior, Beverly's house, kitchen, day. Beverly opens her fridge. There's nothing in it but a plastic jug of margarine, some half-molded white bread, and some suspect milk. She sniffs the milk. Interior, Beverly's house, living room, moments later. Beverly sips the milk, leaving a wholesome white mustache on her upper lip. She looks up to see her mother, Mrs. Marsh, in her 30s, a former prom queen long since faded, watching her, studying her. Bev? Yeah, Mommy? Look at my pretty girl. Mrs. Marsh sounds like what she... Mrs. Marsh sounds like she might be on sedatives. She walks to Beverly and leans towards her, placing her, their faces inches apart. With a thumb and forefinger, she wipes her daughter's upper lip. You had your monthly yet? What? Beverly jerks her face away. Bleeding between your legs? Why? You look more and more like me every day. She reaches out and takes one of Beverly's hands. When it happens, once every 28 days, you'll bleed, and for us marshes, we bleed the most right before the end. Beverly tries to remove her hand from her mother's, but the harder she pulls away, the harder her mother holds on to her. Go downstairs and see Mr. Keene. He'll help you. You'll need to buy these. Mrs. Marsh holds up something. You do that for me, honey, okay? Exterior Public Library, later. Ben sits on top of the library steps, brow furled in concentration, and dashes off something onto a stamped postcard. Exterior Canal Street, day. Ben, postcard in hand, walks under a statue of the governor of Maine, a little man on top of a high, tall plinth. 
The statue's eyes seem to follow Ben as he walks by below. Ben, sensing this, looks unnerved. Standing over the post box and looks at the postcard, it's out loud, oblivious to Travis Snatch and Patrick Hochstetler stepping out of Victor's Trans Am. Your hair is winter fire, January embers. My heart burns there too. He drops the card into the post box. Miss me, Mantits? Always. Ben turns around just as Travis and Patrick Hochstetler snatch him from behind. I warned you, didn't I? Ben's face goes pale as they drag him into the car. Exterior, kissing bridge, continuous. Travis and the boys kick Ben out of the car onto a steel-girdered bridge. Graffiti from hundreds of hearts and names of lovers that crosses the uh, stream where (laughs) it enters into... Sorry. um, Where it crosses the stream where it enters into the wild, untamed barrens. They fling Ben against the railing and flip up his sweatshirt, exposing his fat belly. Snatch slaps it hard. Ben screams like a rabbit, whipsawing back and forth. Look at that jelly jiggle. Victor squishes Ben's belly almost sexually, squealing like a pig in Ben's face. Hockstetler pulls out his lighter and a can of hairspray. Let's light him up like Michael Jackson. Hockstetler jettisons a fireball with his makeshift flamethrower just past Ben's head. Oh, no, 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 no. He's going to jump for us. Travis pulls out a buck knife from his jeans, pressing it to... pressing its point to Ben's bare belly. Up on the rail, or I spill your fucking guts on your sneakers. Ben steps up onto the wood railing, grabs hold of the top strut, and looks down at the bubbling water 20 feet below. Go on. Don't be such a quitter. What are you? The counselor told my mama that your mama moved here because you went up on the roof to take a dive, came up short on balls. Time to finish what you started, fat boy. Ben sees a car crossing the bridge. An old couple behind the wheel catches eyes with Ben, sees his tears, and step on the accelerator, motoring on with glazed looks. You see, no one's going to care. Now, jump. Jump. Jump, Jump, you pussy. Ben jumps, grabbing a hold of a beam and tucking his legs up, suspended now over the river. Travis sticks the knife into the rail and picks up Ben's backpack, tossing it over the edge. Ben struggles to hold himself up there. He sees a lone red balloon trapped in the bridge's trusses. How you doing, tube steak? Are your legs getting very heavy? Ben's strength finally gives out. As his hold loosens, his legs struggle for purchase on the railing. No dice. He drops, tumbling backwards over the side as he falls, dislodging the knife from the bridge's rail. Ah, shit, my knife. Ben and the knife plunge into the shallow rapids, Ben fetching up hard on some rocks, blood wafting into the water. Angle on Ben, surfacing under the bridge, seeing his backpack. We're coming for you, fuck nut. You better have my fucking knife when we do. Ben looks at his chest, all cut up and bloody, with something shiny protruding from his shirt. A fly hook attached to a line, which Ben's eyes follow to a fly fisherman. Are you hurt? Ben shakes his head, still dazed. 
You little fuckers better scram, or I'll whip you silly with this rod. Travis and his boys pause, confused. I said, fuck off, now! Wearing waders and a big floppy hat, the fisherman turns his attention back to Ben. We now recognize him as Bob Gray, the unpainted incarnation of Pennywise. He picks up Ben and looks him over. Let me give you a hand. Ben, unsure whether to be thankful, feels the hair raising on the back of his neck as the stranger leans in closer, unhooking his lure. Is it really twice now you didn't jump? You should do your mom a favor and off yourself. What? Anyone can see you're a ton of extra weight for her, fat boy. You think you'd float? Ben backs away. Bob Gray is about to lunge when Travis and the others come down to the culvert. Hey, come on, guys. My, my man, my old man brought that knife home from Nam. And if I don't find it... Uh... They come splashing into the stream, looking around. Both Ben and the fisherman are gone. Where'd the, Where'd the fisherman go? go? Forget them. Come on, assholes. Look, look. Exterior, the Baron's day. Richie scrapes a branch against the grimy corrugated walls of some place they're exploring. Anything to get his mind off of what he saw in the synagogue. Come on, Eddie Bear. Get your ass in here. Eddie paces at the entrance of wherever they are, the untamed wilds of the Barrens behind him. Uh uh, it's gray water. What the hell's gray water? Tell him, Bill, what your dad said. Will is deeper in. Will is deeper in what we now see is a long cavernous sewer pipe, which extends into pitch darkness. It's where all the wash water and storm drain runoff goes. My model says Georgie would have been found down here. Lightning Will's dark mood. It's sewer water. Piss. And shit, I'm telling you guys, you're splashing around in millions of gallons of dairy pee. Richie dips his branch into the water and sniffs the tip. Smells all right to me. Will sees something in the muck and fishes it out. Guys? Seriously, have you ever heard of a staph infection? Guys, shut up. They all shut up and turn to Will, holding a sneaker. Shit, don't tell me that. He wore galoshes. He flips Richie the sneaker, nods to look inside. Richie flashes his keyring light and sees D. Corcoran written on the sole in black marker. He tosses it away like a hot potato into the water. Whose sneaker is it? Will fishes it out with a branch, afraid to touch it. Dorsey Cochran. Shit, for real? Oh, fuck. I am freaking out. (laughs) How do you think Dorsey feels running around in these woods with only one friggin' shoe? What if, what if he's still here? They all lock eyes. Richie picks up a stick and starts sloshing deeper into the dark pipe where the shoe was found. Eddie stays frozen. Dorsey? Really? Stop. We're going to get in trouble, Richie. What? My mom will have an aneurysm if she finds out I was playing down here. I'm serious. Eds, you get within 20 feet of a peanut. She has a cow. Come home with Dorsey Cochran's corpse. She might have a whole herd. That's not funny. So not funny. Bill, 
Will, who has been uncommonly quiet, finally speaks. If I was Dorsey, I would want us to find me. I'd also like not to be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Dorsey, too. He dumps out a bag of marshmallows and bags the shoe. Great. Those were perfectly good marshmallows ruined. You guys are killing me. He turns to go just as Ben stumbles from the woods all bloody. Eddie screams and backpedals into the pipe (laughs) with Will and Richie, the very place he was avoiding. The three boys all gape at Ben, framed by the light of the pipe opening. Holy fuck, man, what happened to you? Exterior, Richard's Alley, day. The kids tear into the alley, dazed and bloody Ben riding double with Richie, bikes clattering to the pavement under a giant, colorful mural about the FBI's ambush of the infamous Bradley gang, a celebrated slice of Dairytown history. You guys wait here. Will and Eddie run across the intersection, dodging traffic, and duck into a pharmacy on the first floor of an apartment building. Interior Keene's Pharmacy Day. Beverly is loitering shyly in an aisle of feminine products when Will and Eddie burst through the storefront door. Eddie goes straight for the cotton balls and antiseptic and bandages while Will digs around his pockets for cash. He pulls out two crumpled dollars. You you have an account here, don't you? Crazy? My mom finds out I bought this stuff for myself. I'll spend the whole weekend in the emergency room getting x-rayed. They glance at the mirror where Mr. Keene, 50s, the grumpy, eagle-eyed pharmacist watches them like a hawk as he fills prescriptions. Bev comes up behind. Where's the fire? Like you. Scare. There's a kid outside. Looks like someone killed him. I do care. Let me help. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Interior Keene's pharmacy day. Beverly puts her tampons down at the counter. Mr. Keene smiles at her. Your mom, little lady? That's right. I like your glasses, Mr. Keene. You look like Clark Kent. Oh, I don't know about that. Can I try them? Surprised by the request, he tentatively takes them off and hands them to Bev. She puts them on and smiles back. What do you think? Um... Did Lois Lane wear glasses? Ew. I know. That's yeah. oh, sorry. I'm getting typecast. Yeah. <laughs> a type. That's it's the mustache. <laughs> it's the mustache and the glasses. Bad news. Okay. Sorry. She <laughs> takes them off and hands them back, fumbling his glasses onto the floor. Oh, shoot. Sorry. It's okay. He leans down to grab them. Beverly looks to Will and Eddie, who grab the bandages and race out of the store. Exterior Keen's pharmacy day. Bev strides out. Will waits for her by the curb. Thanks. He tries to give her. He tries to give her his crumpled dollars. She flashes a pack of stolen cigarettes. Even Stephen. She sees the other kids across the street. She recognizes Eddie and Richie standing, then Ben slouched on the ground. It's cool of you to look out for him. She waves to Ben, Eddie, and Richie. Get laid in the shade. She walks off down Center Street, 
Will is smitten, and Ben's brought himself to his feet. Will and Eddie come running over. What was that about? Nothing. Come on, this blood won't clean itself. They all take off again. Panning up to the mural we notice, painted in the shadow of one of the windows, a white face watching the ambush with a bloodless, sinister smile. Pennywise. Exterior Ben's house, bedroom day. All the boys have gathered in Ben's room. Will helps Ben dress his wounds while Eddie and Richie play with play his junk and generally turn the room over. Makes a licking and keeps on ticking, huh? Ben looks at his scratched to shit Timex, still ticking. My mom got it for me for curfew. She's not around much to pick me up or anything. I think he means you, Big Ben. Richie finds two walkie-talkies like Will's. I just wish Beverly didn't see me all gross like that. She's the girl they all say. Corporate, Richie. They're just dumb rumors. Guess we know who else has a crush. Ben and Will swap looks. Eddie notices Ben's walls are covered in Xerox copies and historical drawings, all relating to Derry's history. What's the history project? One is a newspaper article with a picture of the iconic Derry standpipe. Next to that... uh, next to that of an unhappy mother and her five beaming kids. The headline screams, Mother of Five Drowns Her Children in Dairy Standpipe. Oh, uh, when I moved here, I didn't have anyone to hang out with or anything, so I just started spending time at the library. All the boys turn and look at Ben. Serious? Like reading Rainbow? He's a regular hardy boy. <laughs> I, I love that show. <laughs> Will and Richie take a closer look. Another Xerox shows a 1961 photograph of a shack on fire by the canal at night. It's only board barricaded by a pickup, surrounded by men in white sheets who carry torches and shotguns. The main legion of white decency. Cool. Black patrons who are inside flap out the broken windows on fire or are already burned corpses collapsed on the ground outside. It's horrible. Yeah, no fucking shit. <laughs> 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 as, as though we needed that editorialized like by the way guys this is horrible <laughs> just in case you didn't yeah. know handwritten in the corner are the words the black spot is it all like people getting killed and missing kids and stuff I don't know that's dairy I guess like any town right been around long enough Bad things happen. I mean, all history is a long line of bad things happening to people. Try reading the Torah. Yeah, but Derry's not like any town I moved to. And we've moved a lot. Did you guys know people die violently here or disappear like six times the national average? You read that? That's just adults. Kids are worse. Way worse. Will sees a copy of an old-timey document with 90 signatures. Incorporation of the Township of Derry. What's this? The Declaration of Independence? The Charter for Derry Township. Nerd alert. No, it's cool. Derry started as a beaver trapping camp. Christ, where's all that beaver today? Am I right? Hey, Hey, that's my national fauna you're talking about. Down there with I got all the beaver and all the bearded women. So many. Bearded women. <laughs> so many. So many. 
Richie looks to the other boys and laughs. Will offers a conciliatory smile to this remark. Aren't you supposed to be Jewish? Richie thumps him in the stomach. 237 people signed the charter that made Derry Derry. And, you know, connected it to The Shining in a really obvious way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Then a year or two later, they all disappeared without a trace. The entire camp? Eddie is freaked out by this revelation. There were rumors of Indians, but no sign of an attack. Others thought it was plague or something. It was like everyone just woke up one day and left. Maybe we could get dairy on unsolved mysteries. Where was the original colony? Blah, 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 blah. Where was the original colony built? Roanoke. <laughs> so, you beat me to it. I was, I was, ben points out. Ben points out on an old map, then transposes the location to a modern map near Roanoke. <laughs> you know where Nybolt Street ends? You mean that creepy ass house where all the junkies and hobos like to sleep? I hate that place. It's like it's watching you. Can we stop talking about this, please? They all turn to Eddie, who looks disturbed. It's just a house, Ed's not like it's gonna eat you. Shut up. Leave him alone, Richie. Well, I didn't mean to. Don't sweat it. What's the point of all this anyway? What are you gonna do with it? Creepy serial killer kid. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have a hobby. Just killing. (laughs) Just killing time, I guess. Benny boy, if you're gonna start killing time with us fools, do it right. Richie opens his backpack full of teeth rotting and MSG filled goodies. They mean drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Downers. (laughs) Up prison downers. (laughs) Will looks thoughtfully over the walls Then at his own muddy shoes Exterior Hanlon's burger joint Day Will hands Dorsey Cochran's shoe Still wet in a marshmallow bag A map rolled into it to Chief Borton 50s, pudgy The wall behind him is plastered with flyers of kids Each with missing or murdered Over their smiling faces With names like Dorsey Corcoran Betty Ripson and Chad Lowe Missy Albrecht and others aged thir- three to nineteen. That's what happened Rob to Chad Lowe. Lowe. Brother. Lowe. 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 <laughs> <laughs> now you know. <laughs> we, we found it in the Barrens. The map says where. The chief unrolls the paper. A map of Derry. X marks the spot in the Barrens. Thank you, son. Eagle eyes you got there. It was. Serial killer? Aren't you supposed to call the FBI or something? The chief looks up at Will, annoyed. We don't need no outsiders poking their noses into our outhouses. <laughs> Derry can take care of her own. Or nods for Will to go. A cab. <laughs> you come over here and you say that to my face, boy. That's like. You're still looking for my brother, Georgie, aren't you? Bravely, remembering who this kid is, finally. We are. But it's not likely we'll find a trace of him, son. And NWA was right. Fuck the police. (laughs) (laughs) What time are you coming over? (laughs) I like roses. Irises. 
daisies <laughs> all in a big bouquet, maybe some baby's breath, make it look nice. <laughs> <laughs> Liddell Barry Manilow in the background. Yeah. We do a steak Candles. dinner. Anything goes, all I'm saying. I'm writing this down, writing it down. Maybe some tiramisu for dessert. I'm just saying. I want to add some ideas. If you're oh. real polite, Pennywise will join in. I mean, hey, let's see. Get a party. How many friends you got? I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean I perfect time for my edible. Not a lot to do in dairy, folks. Yeah. All of these. There is all now. All of, these, <laughs> all of these kids are disappearing because the parents are at key parties. <laughs> Beginning to see why they... the hooker. <laughs> the sequel to the ice storm or something. Thank you. <laughs> so that's that's the, the sequel we've been waiting for, quite frankly. Where they all are I would watch that Halloween movie. Night, you know, mm-hmm. and for the record, I'll I, make said, it. Fine. I said page 40, we'd go off the rails. It's page 38. 38. <laughs> <laughs> You start two pages early. Nice. That's awesome, baby. That's awesome. You know, it, it's fine. Sorry. <laughs> to the script. To the script. <laughs> Interior Beverly's apartment night. <laughs> Beverly sits alone in her living room watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, aware of why this script was never produced. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic. <laughs> a group of adults congregate in the kitchen, drinking and smoking. Bev's dad, Mr. Marsh, holding court her mom serving everyone like a little nervous hummingbird. A family friend noticing her peels off from the group and joins her on the couch. You like old movies? They're okay. Not me. They've never held my interest long. I mean, well, you think you're looking at a, at a hot little toddy and, and that it hits you. Mm-hmm. That, that bitch on TV who is making your pecker stand to attention is is probably dead or, or, or all shriveled like a raisinette. <laughs> Red flag. Okay. Uh, (laughs) He snorts pleasantly at his own comment, offers her a pinch of chewing tobacco. She refuses. Um, Well, fuck that film Twitter discourse. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Beverly has to pee. Beverly has to pee. <laughs> she she got uh, she gets up. He pats her on the uh, on the ass. Oh God! Fetch oh. me a beer while while you're at it, please, and thank you. Poland <laughs> is creepy. Entire town of pedophiles. <laughs> yeah, we're the normal adults in this town, dude. The next James yeah. Bond movie, it's gonna be fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> Bev looks into the kitchen, terrified her dad saw. Instead, she locks eyes with her mother, who just looks away as if nothing happened. <sighs> Interior, Beverly's apartment, bathroom, night. Beverly finishes peeing. She reaches for toilet paper, but there isn't any. She rifles through the toiletries under the old-fashioned sink basin, looking for anything she can use. <laughs> Is that me? <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Think it, I think it turns into me. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be. It'll be yeah. anyways. It yeah. should be. It should, right. Okay. Help me. Beverly looks around for the voice, startled. Help me, Beverly. It comes from the sink drain above her head. How's the sink drain? Oh, she's down. Never mind. 
She stands, her pants still around her ankles, leaning forward over the basin, looking down into the dark void. Is someone there? Nothing. Bev's eyes peer down through the circle of light. We all want to play with you. She gasps, backpedaling, pulling up her pants. The single voice turns into a cacophony, bubbling up through the ages. Come play with us, Beverly. Come play with the clown. You'll float. Terrified, Beverly dashes out. Interior Will's house, night. Will's mom washes the dinner dishes while Will sits at the table and eats a bowl of ice cream. Zach flips through a popular mechanics, still in his overalls from the Dairy Public Works. Did you guys see the short today? No response. Finally, his dad stirs. Sorry? Katia, I thought we could start planning our park trip this year. His dad stops mid-flip, looks to Will's mom, who's on edge. Otter Cave, Bubble Pond, Cadillac Mountain. His mom throws down a dish and, unable to compose herself, storms upstairs. All the air goes out of the room. What did I say? Zach wants to respond, but can't. He goes to the sink and turns off the faucet. Off the faucet. Sorry, champ. Your mom and I, we... If it's about money, I'll, I'll mow lawns, paint fences, pimp Rinchie out, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. He fiddles his wedding ring. Zach is too upset to look his boy in the eye. Your brother just looked forward to this trip so much, you know. It was his favorite. He takes Will's bowl of ice cream, throws it into the sink, and goes. Will's spoon left hanging over nothing. Mine too. Interior, Beverly's apartment, living room, night. Beverly tiptoes into the kitchen, trying to be invisible to all the adults, especially her daddy. Daddy? who watches her with something between Ew. pride and hunger. Yeah. <laughs> she opens the fridge, the door shielding her as she swipes a tape measure out of her father's tool belt and pockets it. Bev shuts the fridge, a beer in hand, and slams down in front of the creepy family friend as he walks from the room. Thank you. <laughs> Interior, Beverly's apartment. <laughs> Bathroom, night. Beverly stands over the sink basin, tape measure in hand. The voice is silent. Hello? She unfurls the tape into the drain, its tip disappearing into the void. <clears throat> foot by foot, she snakes the tape into the drain until it's fully extended at 20 feet. She waits for a voice. Nothing. Slowly, she begins to reel the tape back in, counting down the length as it winds back in. 16 feet. 15 feet. 14 feet. At 13 feet, viscous blood coats the tape. Beverly gasps and drops the measure. It goes clattering into the sink, the tape coiling up like a snake, blood flickering everywhere as she stumbles back, tripping into the shower. Blood bubbles up from the sink drain. Like a demonic ejaculation. There it is. Hey. <laughs> there it is. Hey. I, want, I want to read that again. Like a demonic ejaculation. Hey. Is there any other time? Not in my experience. My Splatters the mirror. The wallpaper, bouncing off walls and covering Beverly. She screams and runs out the door. Interior, oh. Beverly's apartment, living room, night. Into her father, who comes charging up the hall. She screams again, recoiling away. What the hell, Bevy? 
the bathroom in the bathroom he takes her hand they step into the interior (laughs) (laughs) interior beverly's apartment bathroom night mr marsh looks around eyes wide blood splattered everywhere but the blood doesn't register with him what's my tape measure doing out of my tool belt he steps over and grabs the blood-coated tape, clipping it onto his belt, blood on his hands now, too. You should ask me if you want to touch my things. I asked you, don't I? I, I... He doesn't seem to see any of it. Only Beverly can. She realizes this. He pulls back the shower curtain, leaving behind bloody fingerprints. A spider scurries toward the drain. <laughs> Was that it? A spider? Bev's speechless. She staggers back. He catches her wrist. Bevy, you okay? Yeah, that's it. The spider. I thought so. They can't hurt you. You know that, don't you? He crushes the spider under his boot, grinding it in. Yes, sir. Sorry for making the fuss. Some of the other guys gather at the door, also not seeing the blood. She okay? Ah, it's nothing. She just needs her daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Your daddy. (laughs) (laughs) He comes over to her, smoothing out her hair over her forehead, proprietary. The blood on her face like finger paint. This is when he scares her the most. I worry about you, Bevy. You know I worry a lot. I should say Bevy. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know, Daddy. You look different every day, but you're still Daddy's special girl. He looks her up and down. Tell me you're still Daddy's special girl. She averts her eyes, nods, placating. Satisfied, he goes back down the hall to his game. Beverly darts into her bedroom, slamming the door behind. Interior, detail on ceiling, night. Angle on a wet, dark spot as it grows on a white plaster ceiling, the first droplet of water forming. Slow motion as it breaks away and falls through space. Smash cut to, interior, Will's bedroom, night. Onto Will's face. He doesn't stir. More droplets follow. Tap, tap, tap. Finally, Will awakes. Looks up at, a leak in the ceiling. Will flips back his covers. Interior, bathroom, hallway, night. Will grabs a bucket from a utility closet and, walking back, sees the door open to the attic playroom, a light on. Interior, attic playroom, night. Will enters, the room frozen in time. Georgie's toy box is open, a Lego turtle standing next to it, as if taken out to play. Will picks it up and sits down, turtle in hand. He indulges in the sadness that has engulfed his home for months. The loss of his brother hitting him full force, he closes his eyes to fight back the tears, but cannot. He cries for George. Photographs of George, illuminated by passing cars, seem to watch him from the walls. A shadow seems to stretch across Georgie's room from the doorway. Will looks up, but no one is there. Interior bedroom corridor, Will's house, night. Will comes down the attic stairs and finds dark footprints in the carpet. He leans down and touches one, squishy and wet. They track down the the dark staircase. Will, heart pounding, follows the wet footprints down the stairs, careful not to step in any of them. 
I, I, I just whispered it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you. That's all right. I'm quiet. <laughs> Interior downstairs. Will's house. Day. At the bottom of the stairs, Will finds the footprints lead toward the kitchen where... Ma! What? Will sees a red flash of something ducking around the corner. Startled, Will drops the Lego turtle, which smashes into pieces and scatters across the wood floor. Will hears Georgie's caca coming from the kitchen. Will looks back up the stairs, half expecting his parents to wake up. Nothing but an eerie silence. He gathers his courage and follows the wet footprints into interior kitchen, Will's house, day. Will steps in face to face with the cellar door. Bum, bum, bum. Thank you, Donnie Darko. The door creaking closed, light snapped on behind it, footprints disappearing down into the cellar. Will responds with his own caca, but there is no response. Will slowly approaches the door and reaches out for the handle, but stops with second thoughts. He starts backing away, too spooked to go on, to go down, when he hears a child weeping beyond the door, then. Georgie? The (laughs) (laughs) comes from the basement. Interior cellar, Will's house, day. Will opens the door, rickety stairs leading down into darkness. The weeper somewhere in the recesses, along with the steady sound of a leak. Stealing himself, Will descends. He gets to the last few rungs and is thrown off for a moment, seeing his reflection in the basement floor as if it were a black mirror. He realizes the cellar has flooded. Will looks up toward the leak weeping sound and sees, curled in the same corner where he had that opening POV, Georgie in his red slicker. Rain rolling off him like he's still in a storm flooding the cellar. He looks up at Will, his skin bloodless, paper thin. Oh, don't be mad at me, Willie. Losing our boat. Please don't be mad. Georgie? Pennywise, unseen by Will, observes the exchange from a corner of the basement. His opened mouth exposes sharp, pointed teeth dripping with saliva. His hands are in rubbing rotation around each other like the paws of a grooming cat. Will's started to step into the water, now pauses, his left foot above the surface. He looks to Georgie, whose expression of distress seems insincere. It just floated off, but Will... Will grabs a rake from the wall and pokes its tip into the water. Impossibly, it goes all the way to the hilt. If you come with me, you'll float too. In an endless cascade, water and muck pour from Georgie's mouth as he says these last words. Will recoils, backpedaling up the steps. Georgie starts to glide over the water toward Will, who realizes there's a creature beyond it, its white face half-submerged, propping up Georgie's body like a meat puppet. Pennywise begins to surface. Horrified, Will bolts up the steps, slamming and locking the basement door behind him. Interior, downstairs, Will's house, night. Will runs out of the kitchen, sliding on the scattered Legos and cutting his feet. He bounds up the stairs right into his dad wearing PJs. His mom shows at the door, not happy. Easy, what's with all the slamming? Interior, Will's house, basement door, moments later. Will and Zach stand over the stairwell. Zach turns the light on and walks down as the horrified Will perceives it into a pool of water. Dad, don't, the water. Dry as a bone, Will. Sure it wasn't just a dream? Will wraps his arms around himself, too freaked out to speak. Interior bedroom, Beverly's apartment, morning. Beverly stirs awake, 
to silence. Groggy and nearly sleepwalking, she pads across the floor to her bathroom. Camera lingers on her sheets and pillows, smeared with brown gore. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) It's disgusting. (laughs) It's horror. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Not a romantic comedy. (laughs) I wasn't that young when uh, my period's... uh... Angle on. Ben's haiku poem tucked under her pillow. Right next to the brown gore, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) As we pan to the... As we pan to the bathroom, Bev clears the first crust from her eyelids and looks into the mirror. She lets out a choked, exhaling gasp of horror. Her face is crusted with dried blood. Exterior, edge of the Barrens, morning. Will, Richie, Eddie, and Ben stand at the edge of a police cordon manned by Chief Borton. A line of officers, sheriff's deputies, and volunteers sweep the woods with bloodhounds. Hey, Chiefy. Yeah, the barons are off limits for now. You run into town and play. But the shoe? <laughs> Shouldn't you be looking in the sewers? Not. Borton is a harried, humiliated figure. Kid, I got public works all over it. Now let me do my job. <laughs> the chief walks away back to the south where he came from. <laughs> they they yeah, all look like on that, in disappointment. I would. I am in the south. <laughs> well, all At right least then. You're on the case again. Fuck off, boss hog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. They all there's look a- on in disappointment. Right. <laughs> I said it. Oh, At least they're on hey, the case hey, again. Written least- right in the script. Ben I got distracted by Boss Hog. I'm sorry. Ben has a brain <laughs> fart. You, boss Hog. I, I had a brain fart. Sorry. Um, all right. All right. There's that quarry on the edge of town. Will and Richie lock eyes. Genius. Last one there smells like pear. They all jump on their bikes and go. Ben swings his butt like a girl, racing his bike after his new friends. Wait, pair of what? Hold on, pair of what? (laughs) (laughs) Pan off to a police dog picking up a scent near a Morlock hole, a cement cylinder that sticks about four feet out of the ground with a vented iron manhole cover stamped Dairy Sewer Department. A drone comes from somewhere deep within. Interior, Travis Bowers' house, day. Travis puts cream on fresh belt lashes across his back. All around him on the walls are posters of monster trucks. A honk from outside. He throws down his shirt and goes. Exterior, Travis Bowers' house, Bowers Abattoir, day. A shack of a house on a multi-acre abattoir complex along the river. Manure-filled pig pens stand empty. Travis runs out past them to Victor, Snatch, and Hockstetter waiting in Victor's Trans Am. Hockstetter sits in the passenger seat. Out. I thought... Did I fucking stutter? Hockstetter gets in back with Snatch. Your dad get on you about the knife. <laughs> Travis looks across the yard to his father, Butch Bowers, 40s, non-ball co- cap, who corrals 20 pigs ready for slaughter with kicks and curses. A path leading from the pen grows narrower as it feeds into a creepy windowless building. Employees sweep blood and viscera out the other side into the river. Mm, that fat ass knows if he touches me, I'll rip his head off. <sighs> Drive. Exterior, ironworks, day. 
The four kids, Will, Eddie, Ben, and Richie, bike down a country road past the titanic ruin of a blasted old factory building, the Kitchener Ironworks. Something seems to watch them from within as we pan off to a brass plaque placed by the Dairy Historical Society. On these premises, an explosion took the lives of 88 of our children. Easter Sunday, 1905. May their souls rest in peace. Exterior quarry, day. A flooded granite pit with water black as night, graffiti sprayed everywhere. We linger on the swaying rope swing, which suddenly, uncannily, stops. In the background, as if on cue, four boys come into view, pushing their bikes. Will, Ben, Richie, and Eddie. As if the quarry was waiting for them. Exterior quarry, later. Will, Richie, Eddie, and Ben, all stripped to their tidy whities except Ben, who still has a t-shirt. They stand in a line, staring at the edge, the black water foreboding, endless. Who's for first? Eddie. Screw that. I'll go. Ben, with those cuts you have on your chest, I'm not sure if getting in this water... Will you stop with the gray water shit? You make it seem like any water we get in is like swimming in an outhouse. What's gray water? Don't get him started. I'll go first. Gang of sissies. The boys turn around to see Bev stripping out of a one-piece summer dress down to her underwear. Before they can comprehend what's happening, she sprints off the edge and jumps into the water. Boom. Cannonball. The boys, not wanting to be showed up by the girl, take one last look at each other and jump in. Splash, 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 splash. All except for Eddie, who crawls down the brick outcropping and stares at the screaming and laughing kids enviously. What are you waiting for? Why don't you get in, you pussy? Eddie dips the toes of one of his feet in. Flabbergasted, Richie gives up on motivating Eddie. Richie dives under the water and swims beneath the kicking legs of all his friends, a shark's POV. He doesn't notice, deeper, beneath his own feet, something else floating in the depths of the quarry, waiting, watching, Pennywise. On the surface, Bev swims up to Will and Ben. Hey, Ben from Soch. Looks like you got some more friends to send your yearbook. Will told me what you did for... Ben yelps, something yanking his leg. Richie surfaces. Very funny, Richie. Show her your scars yet? What do you mean? Dude, chicks love scars. Take that shirt off and she'll be all over. Something yanks his leg too. Hard. He and Ben wait for whoever it was to resurface from the inky water. They notice Will and Bev swimming back toward Eddie on the edge of the quarry. They scream and swim their asses back to land. Exterior, quarry, shore, later. Will, Bev, Ben, Richie, and Eddie now sunbathe on the rocks at the edge of the pond. Their eyes are closed, soaking in the vitamin D, except Ben, who can't take his off Beverly's tanning body. Good call, Ben. Points for you. How'd you know about this place? It was on one of my maps. Will sits up and looks out at the water. It is so black that it seems otherworldly. Not breaking his stare from the water, he addresses the group. If I tell you guys something, you won't think I'm crazy? Richie, Beverly, and Ben, who have all seen things, know what Will is going to say without him having to say it. Their hair collectively spikes on their necks. I saw Georgie last night. Like, 
a ghost? No, he, he tried to get me in the basement with him. Sounds like your yeah. neighborhood sex offender making a house call. I w- wasn't just him. I saw this other. What did you see, Will? The clown. Everyone looks to Ben. I saw it under the kissing bridge. It tried to scare me, too. I think it wanted to do more than scare. <laughs> okay, I take it back. You guys all sound like serious whack jobs. Telemeds. Eddie stays mum, as if he's sitting on a revelation of his own. Beverly, eyes still closed, places a cigarette in her mouth and lights up. Ben notices her hands shake as she holds the cigarette in her mouth. The smoke swirls and dissipates over them. I, I need to show you guys something. Back at my place. Looky, looky. Across the quarry, Travis, Victor, Snatch, and Hockstetter walk up the path leading to the water-filled pit. They carry six packs, a boombox, and several BB guns. A slut and four jack-offs. Beverly wants to split with her crew. Let's go. Who are you going to tug it for first, Marsh? I don't know. They draw straws. Will, Ben, Richie, and Eddie have grabbed their things. They and Beverly start to split. Travis trains his BB gun on Beverly. How did you losers become friends with the town's finger puppet? Go fuck yourself, moron. Beverly turns her back on him and walks away, her cohorts following. He's got balls. Travis's face goes dark. He pushes Hockstetter off the edge into the quarry. Hockstetter starts howling and splashing like a cat. Shit, Travis, you know Hockstetter can barely swim. Well, I guess now is his chance to improve. Angle Hockstetter, coughing and spitting as he dog pedals toward the rock embankment. Angle, underwater. Hockstetter's feet and the lower half of his body can be seen. Something's coming at him from below. Bodies of dead children dressed in their turn-of-the-last-century Sunday best. Angle Hockstetter, suddenly yanked at from below. Jesus. Angle Travis and the others, watching Hockstetter's arms grasping futilely at the air as they disappear below the surface. He's drowning. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) Staring at the water, not sure what to do, waiting for Hockstetter to resurface. Ah, shit. Travis finally rips off his shirt, dives in, angle underwater, and searches around the depths for Hockstetter. Nothing. Suddenly, an orange light emanates from behind. Travis looks back, eyes going wide, sucking in the black water and whatever he sees. The deadlights. He surfaces, Victor and Snatch looking down. Uh, I can't find him. He's fucking gone. I'm sorry, sorry. My ah, my view's weird. Sure. Okay, hang on. Okay, I got it. Shit, what are we gonna say? Travis gives a glare. Victor shoves Snatch as he falls into line. <laughs> Exterior, lower Main Street. Day. The five boys in Beverly stand outside her slummy apartment building. She looks frightened to go inside. My daddy will kill me if he finds out I had you boys in our apartment. We should have lookouts. Ben? Ben is ready to protest, but he knows that no one will contradict Will. Will, Richie, and Eddie go with Bev. 
Interior, Beverly's apartment, day. Bev opens up the door. It creaks open. The apartment seems to be empty. (laughs) Afternoon sunlight illuminating floating dust motes. She scouts around and lets them in. Will, Richie, and Eddie follow her to the closed door at the end of the hallway. The bathroom door. In there. What are we about to walk into? You'll see. Did we just win the Publishers Clearinghouse $10 million sweepstakes? If Ed McMahon is in there, I'm going to lose my shit. She has no intention of going in. Will pushes past Richie and opens the door. Oh, God. Oh, God. The blood. Still there, faded into maroon clouds on the mirror and wallpaper. Richie reels back into the hallway with Beverly. She looks from Richie to Will. You see it. Will nods. What happened? Bev is so relieved she almost cries. <gasps> the sink. It came out from there. My, my dad couldn't see it. I, I thought I was going crazy. Something lands for Will. He goes to Eddie, who starts to hyperventilate. You okay, you okay, Eddie? Eddie Casper. Eddie snaps to it, suddenly more composed. Resolute, even. Go outside. Keep Ben company. Okay? Eddie just nods and walks out the door. Richie? What? Richie finally looks at him. It's like someone slaughtered a friggin' pig in there. We can't leave it like this. Interior Beverly's bathroom. Day. Will, Richie, and Bev clean, clean like... <laughs> Will, Richie, and Bev clean like grim elves using a bucket of hot water, Ajax, and some cloth rags. Slowly, the blood washes out. Reaching for the same rag, Will and Bev's hands touch a spark between them. Exterior Beverly's house, day. Eddie and Ben stand look out on the curb below. Eddie's still disturbed by what he saw. So what did her room look like? How should I know? Ask Will. Yeah, you will. Why did you take him in there? (laughs) There's so much blood. You think it's all related? Oh, no. Eddie just stares ahead, wrestling with something. Eddie! I think I saw it, too. Interior Beverly's bathroom. Day. Will pours the last bucket of pink water down the bathtub drain. The bathroom is now as clean as it ever was. Clean as it ever was. The the bucket is filled with... The bucket is filled with stained blood rags. Blood stained rags. Whatever. I'm just saying the most logical explanation is some weirdo, some random druggie or whack job creeping around the town, getting his jollies, dressing up and scaring kids. Okay. And he can bring a geyser of blood through Beverly's sink. Or make Georgie appear in Will's house. I don't know. Who knows what crazy things people can do, right? The pigs. Pebbles hit the window. Richie goes over, sees Ben and Eddie jumping up and down. The sound of footsteps come up the hallway. They look at each other. Who's the extra footsteps? Interior stares to Beverly's apartment. Day. 
Mr. Marsh fumbles with his keys outside the door. Interior Beverly's apartment, day. They race through the apartment to a window that opens to a fire escape into the alley. Bev throws it open and the boys climb through. She follows and shuts the window behind them. Mr. Marsh enters the hallway, sensing something is amiss. He sees a bloody rag on the counter, picks it up and squeezes, pink bloody water dribbling down his forearm. Exterior, Hanlon's burger joint, day. Chief Borton, Officer Nell in her 20s, and a group of law enforcement folks, hey cab, enjoy burgers <laughs> and hot dogs after a long day of searching through the woods. Excuse me, son. You forgot the mustard. Mike walks around the tables, bussing trays and drinks. He sees a flyer with the picture of Dorsey Corcoran under the caption, one of the missing laid out with mustard on it. It's Mike, sir. From over the griddle in the streamliner, proprietor Leroy Hanlon calls to his son. Mike, why make a point out of something like that? East country, dad. Just then, a little fleet of bikes comes skidding into the parking lot, and Will, Bev, Ben, Eddie, and Richie jump off. They scramble up to Chief Borton's table. Chief! Chief Borton! Sippa, can you take Nell? Oh, sure. Well, well, what do you want with the chief? We know what's been taking the kids. Borton's not happy about lowering his burger. Never am. Someone someone try to pull something with you boys and girl. I I saw it as Georgie. I saw it as a clown. Mike bussing tables over here's at Nebel. It was a hobo. Oh, you're muted, hon. Bev. Thanks. Come back, Bev. Come back. <laughs> we think maybe it only wants to hunt kids. Borton assesses them all with a hard eye. All one person, huh? A hobo, a seven-year-old, and a clown. You realize you could be incarcerated for wasting police time like this? It's the truth. Something terrible wants to kill kids here. And it doesn't help you hiding behind your badge. How many kids have to disappear or show up dead before you admit something's going on? No one's denying that there's something going on. That don't mean I need to be told how to do my job by some snot-nosed 13-year-old. Now get. There's a note of desperation in the cop's voice as though... If the depth of the problem were to be acknowledged, they would have to admit that they were in hell. Yeah. Have another fucking french fry. Hey, you (laughs) buy me a burger or you get the hell out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Exterior Hanlon's burger joint day. The kids grab their bikes, discouraged and dejected. Mike hustles around the corner with a tray of free dogs and burgers for Will and his crew. Hey, wait. Will and the others turn to look. You aren't crazy. I've seen it too. The kids realize they have a new ally. 
Cut to title card over a manhole cover marked Dairy Public Works, July 4th. A foot steps over it, the first of many, as we pan up to exterior Canal Street Day. A parade passing by us, proceeding along the canal. Kids on bikes festooned with streamers. Creepy stilt-walking Uncle Sam's waving sparklers and American flags. Shriners Club geezers driving miniature cars. Those guys are all drunk, by the way. Clowns Clowns throwing out balloons from the back of a fire truck. Will, Eddie, Mike, Bev, Ben, and Richie paddle by on bikes behind the cheering crowd on the sidewalk, seemingly the only citizens of Derry not part of or watching the parade, headed somewhere on a mission of their own. They duck and weave through the pedestrians on their bikes, almost running into Chief Fortin, who staples a flyer to a post with Patrick's moon face grinning back at us. Patrick Hockstetter, another one of the missing. Exterior, Nybold Street, dusk. Will and the gang bike past a dead-end sign down a street with crumbling asphalt that runs along the canal in old train yard. They skip up to a plot infested with giant ratty sunflowers that hem in an abandoned, boarded-up structure with a rotted sloping facade that looks like munches the scream the house on 29 nibold this is a terrible idea come on eds where'd you see it ah uh, no it's not like we're going in it's, it's it's all boarded up so why are we here bev unzips her backpack and dumps a pile of fireworks out black cats bottle rockets smoke bombs everything you need for an explosive fourth Holy fuck! To call those firecrackers, this is a firecracker. No fucking know what I'm supposed to be doing here. <laughs> Richie pulls a bag of M80s from under his pockets and adds it to the cache. <clears throat> Secure about size, Richie. As a coup de grace, Beverly pulls out a pack of tape mortar the size of fried chicken bucket. No <laughs> way! Will said, "Come prepared." Will and the others turn to Eddie, who just holds himself, scared. Just peek through the windows. Promise. We see anything scary, you can give the secret signal. Mike hands him a firework. Or shoot it in the face. I don't want to shoot anything. Will, please, I just want to go home. So does Georgie. So does every kid who's disappeared. If they're in there, we can do that for them. Get them home. But we're just kids. Yeah, we're the only ones who can see it, which means only we know where to look. Please, I need to know if he's in there or not. Eddie nods, then face sheet white, points. There. I saw it there. Exterior, 29 Nybolt Street, dusk. The kids venture up to the house, the ground all marshy and wet. Eddie takes the rear. They come up to a creepy dark crawl space under the front porch. Will kneels down and sees a filthy blanket, some needles, and porno magazines. A small broken window leads into the basement. It's not ported up after all. He looks back to the others, who spark to a shared idea. No way, you promise. You can stay outside. Keep a lookout. Alone? Someone can stay with you. Bev? Nope. But you're a girl. Hey, Richie, go fuck yourself. She pulls out a pack of matches and lights one, blowing it out. She pulls the burnt, she puts the burnt one in her hand along with four others and closes her fist, the match tail sticking out. 
Okay, luck of the draw. Now pick. Will picks a match. It's head unburned. Richie does the same. Also not burnt. Mike and Ben follow. The same. Sorry, Bev. She opens her hand to show the last match. Also not burnt. You fixed it. No, I swear. Look. She holds up her hand, the soot from the burn match visible. They all look at it, then each other. Odd. So who's staying with me? No one. We all go down. What? Why? Will puts his arm around Eddie. Because someone up there wants us to. What if it's somebody in there? Eh, you had a good run. He nods to the- <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> he nods to the black abyss of the basement. Interior 29 Nybold Street, basement, dusk. One by one, the kids drop down into the dark, dank space, landing on a coal bin filled with chunks of dirty black coal that blacken their hands and clothes, fed by a chute. This place stinks. I smell it too. Smells just like the old ironworks where I saw. Will nudges him, nodding to Eddie, who looks freaked. Sorry. Just don't breathe through your mouth. Why? Because then you're eating it. That ain't gonna kill you. Bev smiles at Mike. Eddie clings to Will, who surveys the small storage room. Even here, an anemic sunflower or two grows through cracks in the rotting foundation. We shouldn't be here, I'm telling you. A piece of plywood sprayed with vile graffiti is the only thing between them and the interior cellar. Will nudges it and it goes falling back into the darkness with a slap. He looks to the others. Stay close. Bev pulls out sparklers. Interior 29 Nybolt Street, basement, dusk. Sparklers burning, Will and Bev lead Ben, Mike, Richie, and Eddie into the main room of the cellar, which somehow seems bigger, more sprawling than the house above it. Their sneakers slosh through an inch of stagnant water that covers the floor. In one corner is a stack of old rusty bed frames, and in another hulks, and in another hulks a huge creepy coal furnace. Cozy. Ben investigates the middle of the space. Will snoops around the furnace. This is probably it. What? Will grabs a coal stoker and uses it to open the furnace door. Where the town well once was. In the original settlement. How the heck do you know that? Newsflash, he's a dork. Shut it, Richie. Ben hops up and down. For a moment, it's all good. Clang! Will drops the coal stoker and everyone looks. Oh, no, no, no. The floor collapses under Ben's feet, his spot in the cellar going dark. Ben! All the kids rush over and find him clinging to a piece of rebar over a black pit. The well. Mike and Will pull him up. I told you. I told you. Shut up, Eds. Are you okay? Ben's too shocked to respond. They all peer down into the well. Bev lights another round of sparklers for everyone and drops one down the hole. They watch it drop and drop and drop until it's finally swallowed by the blackness. Maybe this wasn't such a hot idea. Seriously, Ben, say something. One too many donuts. <laughs> I didn't realize the cop was here. Hey! <laughs> hey. That's the one smelling the donuts, too. My God. <laughs> Or do not. <laughs> they laugh. Still, he's shaken. 
Bev dabs at the bloody gash on his cheek. Eddie, who hyperventilates, jabs himself with his EpiPen. What's his problem? Will takes them all to the furnace and shows what's inside. Georgie's paper boat. You said we wouldn't even go in. It's here, I know it. We need to go now. Will tries to grab the boat, but upon, but upon his torch, it turns to billowy ash. Undaunted, he looks to the stairs. Who's coming with me? Bev, Ben, and Mike step up. Eddie starts to hyperventilate. I'll stay here with Mr. Whoopee Cushion here. Just leave us some sparklers. Interior, Nybolt Street, first floor, dusk. A door opens in the middle of the kind of creepy hallway you have nightmares about. Rotted, water-stained wallpaper with elves on it. It's <laughs> a weird detail. Grim elves. With elves on it. Feels like dead skin from the scummy walls. Will sticks his head out. He looks left. Nothing. He looks right, where there's a parlor. Fingers of sunlight filtering in through cracks in all the boarded-up windows. As Will disappears into the stairs again, the door closes, revealing a balloon drifting into view. Interior Nybold Street house, basement stairs, dusk. Will still has his hand on the doorknob. All clear. Bev nods. Let's go. Interior Nybold Street house, first floor, dusk. The balloon is gone. Will, Bev, Ben, and Mike all file out, sticking close to the filthy walls. They step over needles and rubbers as they make their way down the hallway. Interior Nybold Street basement, dusk. Richie and Eddie huddle together alone in the dark basement, their friends' footsteps creaking the floorboards above them, dust sprinkling down onto their heads. Richie lights two new sparklers and throws the used ones into the well. I know what the Eddie Bear likes. He pulls out a ding dong. <laughs> no. I got one of those. Is, is, the is that what we're calling is it? it is a ding dong a snack food? It's a ding dong food. A ding dong is the best food. snack food. Yeah. We don't, we don't have them up It is a good snack food, but uh, it's a very good yeah. snack food. Yeah. Uh, it's too bad. Um, but I'm put them in the freezer. I think we're talking about two different ding dongs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that ding dong in the, in the freezer, it's much better. <laughs> yeah. I tried that one. How does silicone work in there? <laughs> is, is it like a Twinkie? Is it like a Twinkie? Like I don't know. It's like a chocolate Twinkie. We don't have a ho ho. It's like a chocolate. Yeah, it's like a ho ho. It's like a rolled up. Yeah. It's a ho ho. Uh, uh, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> it's kind of deprived up here. Sorry. It looks like a hockey puck. Yeah, it looks like a hockey puck. Oh, okay. Hockey puck. Oh, wait. I you'd like that, right? Yeah. Like Sidetracked so, by ding dongs. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry in my life. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I relate all the time. Oh my God, I, Listen, I am trying to sprinkle as much gay Richie subtext in here as possible, but the ding dong is a ding dong. It's not a ding dong. If you get my drift. Sometimes a ding dong is just a ding dong. <laughs> Sometimes it's a penis. <laughs> Sometimes it's both. Although if, if, if a guy did do this as Eddie, I would also be unconvinced. So yep. Eddie doesn't look convinced. Interior Nine Volt Street, first floor, dusk. Will's group enters the parlor, which is crammed with pillow-like objects covered in grimy white sheets scattered throughout the room. The kids creep through the maze of furniture, made to feel vulnerable by whatever is lurking under the covers and in the shadows. Bev taps Mike on the shoulder, gestures quietly to a black pair of toes that poke out from under one of the sheets. 
Mike nods to Will, who cocks his coal soaker and yanks back the sheets, revealing a creepy wood-carved Indian with a huge headdress. Mike literally pisses himself with fear, a puddle forming by his leg. Mike? That's what I saw, what tried to kill me at the ironworks. He looks at his now wet pants. Shit. No, piss. It's okay. It's okay. When I saw Georgie, I did the same thing. Me too. I shat myself a little. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> it, it, it really That's my favorite line. Of- so oh my god, you shot yourself. Do it again. Oh I shat myself a little. I sharded. I, I shitted and farted. Everybody pees her pants. It's the coolest. <laughs> Me, Miles Davis. There it is. I was about to say that. There it is. <laughs> I, I think we can end right there. We're done. And see. Well done, everyone. All right. Keep going. Keep going. The Doyle's rule. We got 50 pages to go. That <laughs> Jesus. Keep going. We're only, we're only halfway through the script. <laughs> everyone laughs. Mike feels better. Interior 29, Nibel Street, basement, dusk. Richie and Eddie stuffed ding dongs in their faces. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I'm looking this up. Yeah, they do. Text. That fanfic's been written. So. Suddenly, the two used sparkler sticks are tossed back in front of them. Tips dipped in blood. Eddie looks to Richie, and they both look back toward the well. Interior, 29 Nybolt Street, first floor, dusk. Ben opens the door of a huge old armoire, inside of which he finds a frighteningly cluttered array of scribbled names on the doors. Dorsey Corcoran, Georgie Denbro, etc. They date back decades, detail the deaths and disappearances of innumerable children. Oh. Beverly sees an artwork buried deep in the back. It's deviant art of Pennywise. You know it exists. Uh, It does. Yeah. She moved. (laughs) Finish that sentence. No, no, thank you. It's time for a ding dong. (laughs) She moves the threadbare children's clothes and pulls out a framed 18th century etching depicting a couple praying before the gates of a country house to an orange moon. Their backs to a front garden littered with the corpses of children being eaten by a rudimentary yet recognizable figure, not bodied as a clown, but in the form of a humanoid demon. Well, thanks for reading my dream journal. Look, that's him! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Interior 29 Nibel Street, basement, dusk. A scabrous white hand is slowly clearing the well's wall, folding its fingers on its edge, the top of the head begins to be exposed. The forehead, oh, the eyes. Right? <laughs> Resume Richie and Eddie transfixed. The boys look at each other. Interior 29 Nibel Street, first floor, day. Will, Ben, and Mike come up to Bev's discovery. They hear Richie and Eddie scream from downstairs. Interior... 
<laughs> Interior 29, Nibald Street, basement, dusk. The two boys book it out of the cellar. Richie scrambles up the coal chute, Eddie right behind. Come on. Richie reaches out to grab his hand. A hand seizes Richie pant leg and, dug, and tugs him violently back down. Eddie bounces off the metal bin and slams onto the cracked concrete, his arm twisted at an unnatural angle. Sneering down at Eddie is Pennywise, morphed into the form of the hobo ridden by syphilis, nose <laughs> rotted and lips bitten bloody. What would mommy say, Eddie? See what happens to little boys playing in all that gray water? Isn't that what your mama's been worried about? You know my mama? <laughs> What's happening? Man. Sick people are a hobby of mine. Interior 29, Nibel Street, first floor, dusk. Will and the others race back down the hall. Only every T intersection seems to lead to another T intersection. The cellar door impossible to find. What's happening? Will looks around, then uses the coal stoker to pry open the nearest boarded up window. Interior, 29 Nybolt Street, basement, dusk. Richie pulls the pin on the coal bin and a mountain of coal avalanches down onto the hobo, knocking it away from Eddie and pinning the hobo to the ground. Richie jumps down and helps Eddie up. My arm, I think it's... He howls as Richie boosts him up the chute. Don't touch the other boys, Richie. If you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Horrified, Richie looks back at Pennywise digging his way out of the coal. Don't, or they'll know your secret. Mike appears at the window, extending his hand. Gotcha. Mike pulls him out by his good arm. Will appears in the window, stoker in hand. Richie, watch out. Pennywise has dug himself out now more pissed than ever he lunges at Richie who screams <laughs> who's scrambling up the chute <laughs> Richie get out of the chute man oh. <laughs> my best Will scrabble the... <laughs> Will plunges the stoker into its eye it instantly recoils howling groping at what's now impaled in its face Exterior 29, 29 Nybolt Street, night. Richie's pulled out and the kids stumble through the sunflowers to their bikes. Eddie riding double with Ben. Damn it. All right. They book it away from Nybolt, the whole house seeming to laugh at them from behind, just as, boom, 4th of July fireworks start to explode over Derry. Interior, Victor's Trans Am, night. Parked on the baseball diamond behind Tracker Brother Trucking, Travis and Greta make out in the back, her hands moving around his crotch. Oh. Victor is <laughs> nice. moving around? <laughs> <laughs> Not actually touching it, just around Not the vicinity. Around. He's trying to find it. <laughs> wax on, wax off. Oh. Oh. Good to find them the clip. <laughs> <laughs> That's a small penis joke. <laughs> Got it. Victor is in the front seat, his hand down a girl's pants. Snatches outside, <laughs> nicking a third girl <laughs> against the outfield fence. Ah, faster. Boom. <laughs> the sky erupts oh, in dazzling light and color and continues to with fireworks throughout and until the end of the following scenes. You sure I'm doing it right? <laughs> Victor cackles from the front. He can't get it up. 
Travis glares at him, takes Greta's hand and yanks it out of his pants. Oh, <laughs> what the fuck did you just say? Nothing, man. <laughs> Travis keeps his eyes trained on them as Victor turns his attention back to his girl. Greta flicks his ear. Hey. He ignores her. Boom. Travis studies how Victor and his girl hook up. Greta flicks him again in the ear. Greta, begging for attention, flicks his ear one last time. Hard. You two want to be alone or? Travis whips around. (laughs) (laughs) Travis whips around and grabs Greta by the neck. So hard she gasps for breath. The fuck? He starts to force her head down to his lap. Travis, you're hurting her. Travis, you're hurting her. I'm girl number one. I'm girl number one. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I read it earlier, so I just, uh, you know. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. Greta Greta grabs her purse and swings open the door. You, let's go. Boom. Her girlfriends follow, pushing Victor's and snatches hands away. Wait. Travis tries to grab Greta, gets out. Come on, it was just a joke. You're a joke. Your dick's the size of a tampon. She wiggles her pinky. Travis jumps out of the car, fists clenched, ready to explode. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) What, you want to beat up a girl? He backs down, humiliated, especially in front of his friends. Greta looks to her girls and they go. Have fun jerking each other off. Fuck up, man. Bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Travis fumes. The worst kind of blue balls. Now what are we going to do? Stuck each other off. (laughs) 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 All right, who's got the cookie? (laughs) Appropriately enough, boom, boom, boom. (laughs) A series of flashes illuminate everything around them. Travis sees something that makes him smile. Will and the others on <laughs> Sorry. Will and the others on bikes coming around a corner. Interior, old Cape Street night. Boom. More fireworks. Illuminating the Trans Am as it roars up behind Will and the others on their bikes. The car flashing its brights, dangerously riding their asses. Nice oh. move. The kids part just in time for the Trans Am to plow through. Travis grabs the wheel from Victor and checks Will off his bike with the car. Will goes flying into Bev and Mike and causes a pileup. The Trans Am fishtails to a stop about 50 feet ahead, blocking their way. Travis laughs from the open window. Man, you could have killed him. Or us. <laughs> Bev and Mike help Will up from the pavement. They look back to Richie and Ben with Eddie, whose arm doesn't look good. What are we going to do? You guys realize he can't beat us. Not together. Stand up for yourselves. He's right. But Eddie's arm. Just stay behind us. Keep him safe. Will looks to Bev, who nods. No point in running. Might as well just accept what's about to happen to all of you. Fuck off, Travis. We're not afraid of you and your tampon dick. (laughs) (laughs) My script froze. I'm sorry. All right. 
Just keep talking about tampon dicks. Okay. Stall, stall. <laughs> Just do the uh, dialogue. He probably drives the Ford F-150 now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping this is the right one. Travis turns to his boys, determined to assuage his thirst. Perfect. Say it again. I said tampon dick. It's the new milkshake duck. Uh, Beverly drops her backpack and holds up her six-barreled mortar aimed horizontally at the Trans Am. He said, fuck off. Thump. She fires, the recoil throwing her back into Will while the rocketing projectile explodes inside the car with the three boys who shield their faces, screaming. Before they can recover, Mike runs up and tosses two Mentos Coke bombs through the open window on everyone's laps. The bottles explode, bouncing all around the car, Coke spraying everywhere. My fucking car! Will and Ben follow up with a barrage of bottle rockets, which whistle past from every which way. Ah, go, go, go! Travis stamps his foot over Victor's on the gas, and they peel off down the street. The kids jump up and down, cheering their victory. Huzzah! (laughs) Bev kisses Will impulsively, then shies back, the last of Derry's 4th of July fireworks display exploding overhead. Ben sees this and his face falls, like he's been kicked in the gut. Richie, nursing his foot, holds Eddie, weary of the celebration. Exterior, Eddie Casper's house, night. Will and the gang bang on Mrs. Casper's door. She opens it, sees his broken arm, and freaks. Exterior, Eddie's house, night. Mrs. Kasprick shoves Eddie into the backseat, hysterical. You! You did this! She slams the door on Eddie and fumbles for her keys. You know how delicate he is! We were attacked, Mrs. K. Flowers in those guys. Don't! Don't even try to blame someone else. What could they possibly have against my Eddie bear? He exists. Think you're funny? You said something, didn't you? Open that big mouth of yours richie slinks back shaken mrs casper pulls out all sorts of garbage from her purse kleenex deflated balloons until she finally finds the keys dropping them let me help she smacks beverly away back get back what a li- what's a little girl even doing with a gang of boys like this if i was your mother i'd be sick sick M- mrs k i swear no you're monsters Reckless, selfish monsters. Eddie's done with you, you hear? Done! She jumps into the front seat and turns the engine. I don't want to see any of your faces or your ding-dongs ever again! (laughs) (laughs) She slams the door. She slams the door on their ding-dongs and the car steps out of the driveway. (laughs) I meant (laughs) ho-ho's. She slams the door on their ho-hos and the car squeals out of the driveway. (laughs) Will and the kids stand all ragtag there, low and shaken. Exterior, Kansas Street, day. Will, Richie, Bev, Ben, and Mike walk home in silence. Hey, at least we got Bowers off our back. You're kidding, right? What's wrong? Ben seethes with jealousy. Besides Eddie breaking his arm? Or some shape-shifting demon monster almost having my guts for garters? We heard it. Will stabbed it in the face. That's something. Great. So next time it will just be madder and bigger and not mess around and kill us. 
We can't pretend it's going to go away. It's not. Ever. So what are you really going to do about it? Nothing. That's what. I'm tired of us following Nancy Drew here. I thought you were my friend. I am. Then why are you trying to get me... Why are you trying to get all of us killed like you got your brother killed? A deep cut. Richie moves to go. Will blocks him. I didn't get my brother killed. Out of my way, Will. Take it back. You're scared. We all are. But take that back. They start shoving each other. No. You're a bunch of losers and you'll get yourselves killed trying to find the stupid killer and none of it makes any difference. Mike and Ben step in to separate them. Ben checks Will to the pavement. What are you doing? She drops to Will's side. Richie's right. Will doesn't care about anything but himself. We all have shit, too. I'm sick of it. He helps Richie up. See you boners at my bar mitzvah. Or not. Richie and Ben go. Will looks to Bev and Mike. What was six is suddenly now three. Cut to title card over the Penobscot River. August. Tilt down to the overhead shot of what we expect to be dairy 1989. But instead we see nothing. Just the intersection of a stream and river and the surrounding wilderness, towering black pines as far as the eye can see. Derry, just as the first settlers arrive. 1625. Exterior wilderness, day. A line of white settlers with tall hats, black Puritan clothes, and deep set eyes that have seen a million hardships forge through the dark woods. They are led by a similar line of about 40 Penobscot natives. In the middle of a river, they come to a stop, protective, concerned. The pilgrim leader steps forward. A French translator works with the native leader. They speak in hurried, hushed tones as the native leader describes the land in front of them in Penobscot Algonquian. What's he saying? Only broken land lies ahead. What what would he have us understand by broken? The translator conveys the pilgrim's question to the native leader and receives his emphatic reply. He answers, bad medicine. They go with us no further. This is arable land. Whatever dispute you have with the natives of this place, we will explain to them is none of our fight. God bless our going forward. The pilgrim nods to his people and the settlers continue to forge ahead, passing through the line of natives. The native leader can't help but look with great fear at the cluster of little children traveling with their parents. A bird-like creature with human eyes watches them from the water. Time cut to exterior pilgrim village. Three years later, day. A small village has been built within a logged out clearing on the riverbank. In a thick pine forest nearby, men chop down a tree while two kids play on logs floating in the water, one showing off for the other. Watch yourself, Avery. The kids laugh and josh, jumping the water between them and keeping their balance upon to buoyant logs. Unseen, a white hand darts out of the black water, grabs Avery's leg, and pulls him under into the abyss. The pilgrim girl's face goes pale. Hearing the splash, the men look up, seeing only one child standing on the water's edge. Exterior, well house, day. The pilgrim leader thatches a roof over a stone well in the center of the village, grabbing hay and filling it in. Through a gap, he can see a teenage girl with a baby on her back filling a bucket. He grabs some hay, looks back, the bucket swinging wildly on the rope. The girl gone. Only the baby left there on the lip of the well, crying. Hello, Sister Abigail. 
He hurries down the ladder, looking back toward the garden where either where she was taking the bucket to the others and no sign of her either. Just as he jumps to the ground, the crying stops. He turns the corner through the door only to discover the baby is gone. He looks to his feet, the ground of the well house squishy and wet. Exterior Pilgrim Village, day. A wide shot of the village in a violent rainstorm. Axes swing and trees fall as the pilgrim leader directs the building and fortification of the village, its spikes aimed outward at the dark and forbidding forest. We crane up along a tree, the face of the Penobscot native with razor teeth, Pennywise, appears out of the bark of the tree. We continue to crane past the gnarled head that is looking for its next meal. On top of the tree, a bird clings to a branch with human eyes. Exterior fortification, pilgrim village, night. A full merciless moon shines on the isolated encampment. Pilgrims stand and watch the new fence vigilant with muskets. The pilgrim leader directs a group of armed men off into the woods to recover their children. Interior cabin, bedroom, night. The pilgrim leader's wife jolts awake in bed, gasping and drenched in sweat. The fire burns dimly now and the wife grabs the cumbersome musket leaning beside the hearth, lights a candle and instinctively walks to the children's bedroom. Interior cabin, children's bedroom where her four children crowd together asleep. The candle illuminates a sight that causes her face to drop in a horrified grimace. Pennywise, naked, lithe, flesh pale and translucent. A half-formed... <laughs> hey, girl, hey! <laughs> a half-formed imitation of a human. Stands crouched over one child, her eyes wide, paralyzed by fear as this creature opens his maw full of razor sharp teeth dripping with saliva. He jerks to the side and raises his hands, hissing at the wife as would as (coughs) hissing at the wife as would a startled beast. Move away, devil. His voice is guttural, unnatural. You mistake me, woman. I can't do this with the teeth. <laughs> no, mere devil. I am the eater of worlds. She drops the candle whose wax starts to drip and draw the flames amongst the irregular floorboards of the cabin. Move away. God protects us. Then why do you carry the musket? She's innocent. So you say. You have been murdering our people. I feed. You pray to God death will not find thee. You pray to me. You lie. The wife fumbles to discharge the musket. Pennywise pinches the wick, rendering the weapon useless. She falls to her knees and clasps her hands. Take me then, devil. Take me in my child's stead. Too many bites of the apple. He looks to the terrified, speechless child, hyperventilating and covered in sweat. Look at her beautiful fear. He arches his back and cocks his head in ecstasy, breathing with a raspy sigh. He crouches down to the child and opening his mouth, extends a long tentacle-like proboscis to, his fa- to her face as she begins to seize. 
His eyes roll back as he speaks some unearthly tongue in a terrible, sibilant tone. The wife's nightgown catches fire and Pennywise jerks his head to face her as she crawls to his feet. I pray thee, take me. He blows the flames out, his eyes fog over black. I will, and then her, and thy husband, and the rest of the children, and all this, not going to say that, who brought you here. (laughs) And when you all rot in the earth, I will pick thy bones dry until no meat is left to pick. And then I will seek out thy bones and consume thy souls until nothing is left but the weeds. Or you will occupy yourself otherwise and not interfere. I will take her and you will live. (laughs) And those of thy other children whom I take no interest. And you will thank me. Fever and frost did not damn you to the soil. The wife looks at her daughter, who continues to seize violently in the bed. They're both looking at her child. She begins to weep and crawls from the room. Pennywise smiles and pauses to savor his meal. He eyes a makeshift wooden trinket around the girl's neck, carved in the likeness of a bee, yanks it off and sinks his teeth in, devouring her as the other children sleep. Interior cabin, living room. The wife crawls to the fireside and covers her ears to block the sounds from the other room of Pennywise feasting on her daughter. She stares into the fire, glowing orange like the deadlights. It's clear that what she sees in it drives her insane. Unable to take it, she lets out a blood-curdling exterior wood continuous scream. It echoes through the woods as the pilgrims spread out in the darkness, searching for their loved ones, only to be quickly snuffed out by the forest's shadow. Cut to interior Nybolt House Street. Nybolt Street House, first floor, day. Pennywise holds up the pilgrim child's wooden bee trinket to his now mutilated eye where Will gorged the poker, awash in the memories of what we just witnessed. It crushes the trinket, appearing rattled, scared even, then looks into the armoire with scrapbook of killed children, where one newspaper article in particular catches it I. Boy, eight, drowns in a storm drain in freak accident, which is accompanied by a photo of Will and Georgie wrestling in the yard. With his grimy fingernail, Pennywise scratches a little clown face on Will in blood. Exterior monument circle, day. Will and Bev walk down the street eating ice creams past a Civil War monument in the middle of a cul-de-sac. Thanks. I thought you'd never ask. Uh-huh. Oh. January Embers? Will yeah. looks lost. It's clear that he's not the author of the poem. Bev, crushed, does her best to suppress her disappointment. It's nothing. Just a poem I like. They awkwardly eat their ice creams. 
you going to Richie's bar mitzvah? Not sure. Doesn't he like hate me now? Like my parents do? Don't say that. It's not your fault what happened. If they can't see. They can't see anything past Georgie. She smiles. It's funny. Sometimes I wish my parents said I was invisible. Beverly grows dark thinking about her real feelings. Will wants to ask her something, but regrets it as soon as he does. Is it true? What? Mm, never mind. What? Well, you know what those girls say about you? You and the uh, you know, older boys? What do you think? Will shrugs yeah. and looks away, <laughs> embarrassed and afraid to say more. Bev lets him off the hook. That I got passed around at Joni Arnett's party? Yeah, that. <laughs> Will... <laughs> Will looks it's all away. True. Will looks away, too embarrassed to confirm what he's heard. Would it matter if it was true? Well, you're my friend. I, I just want to know you're okay. It's not true. And if you... it were, a girl needs a hobby. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Either notice Mr. March washing them. Mr. Marsh watching them, eyes alight from a phone booth across the street. It rings. Interior, Eddie Kasprak's house, day. Eddie and his mom sit on the couch and watch soaps. Eddie doodles on his cast. Not a friend's signature anywhere. Shh. Eddie, you there? Over. His walkie-talkie crackles from a high shelf over the TV. Mrs. Casbrack looks at her son, eyebrows raised. I turned it off, I swear. She rumbles over to grab it and... Gotta listen to me. I'm sorry. I never should have made you... Turns it off. She looks out the window and sees Will in the street. She goes to the window and throws it open. I told you to stay away from my boy. Ma. Away from the window. She pushes him back. The stress of the situation starts to get to Eddie. He begins to hyperventilate. He's going nowhere with you. Get out of here before I call that useless hamburger eating police <laughs> mustard loving officer. Why? <laughs> because they don't have better things to do? <laughs> I really she don't. slams the window closed. Will, hurt, bikes off. She turns to Eddie, who is having a panic attack, unable to breathe. Eddie Bear, where's your pen? He holds it up. It's out. Exterior, Travis Bauer's backyard. Day. Travis, Victor, and Snatch shave each other's heads with electric clippers in front of a dirty old mirror outside. Interior, killing pen. Bauer's abattoir. Day. A bottle of Southern Comfort sits on a rail. Travis shoots it off with the pneumatic cattle bolt and the bottle shatters into a thousand pieces across the blood-stained floor. They all whoop and holler. Holy shit. Can I try? He reaches for the bolt. Bowers pushes him back. Travis? Thanks, Frozen. Okay. Sorry, I'm frozen. You're back. Then I, I gotta refresh. Yeah. 
the the script real quick. No problem. Take your time. Always a fun fun. Night. We're on what eighty nine. We uh, are eighty seven. Eighty seven. Uh, Middle of the screen. Sure. Go put the next target out there. Let me know when you're there. We back. Someone start playing okay. the Jeopardy theme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, he reaches uh, for I'm the bolt. Bowers pushes him back. Sorry. Wait, hold on. Take your 87. time. Yep. Sorry. Right. Internet is being super no right. problem. laggy. When you get there, it is sure. Go put the next target out. Okay. Okay. I found it. There we go. Sure. Go put the next target out. Travis passes him another empty bottle. Do you hear them? The pigs when they're, you know. Snatch sets up the bottle across the pen. Good. Yeah, now get the fuck back. Travis turns on the air pressure and aims the bolt. You don't know jack shit because they know because they don't know where, what's coming. That's so. They all turn. Butch, Travis's dad, is at the door. A bottle of Soko in hand. He snatches the bolt from Travis. I didn't know my boy here was such an expert. Mr. Bowers, we didn't Shut up. Butch punches a button. A door slides open and a pig trots in. Victor and Snatch have to jump out of the way and perch on the railing. The pig comes to a dead end in the narrow pen. Why don't you show him then, big man? Show him how you do it. He offers Travis the bolt. Travis looks at it, scared to take it. What's wrong? You said yourself they don't know what's coming. Or don't you remember the last time I tried to get you to pull your weight around here? Cried like a little sissy. Travis looks at his friends who now look away. Don't look at them. Look at your buddy there. Ah, fuck this. Travis tries to bull past, but Butch pushes him to the floor, eye to eye with the pig trapped in its little pen, oinks and hisses in front of him, agitated. Get up. Up. Travis gets up. Butch puts the bolt in Travis's hand. Do it. Travis looks at the pig squealing, then at the bolt in his hand. I said, do it. Butch pushes his hand and the bolt against the pig's head. The animal knows what's coming and starts bucking and squealing in the cage. It's horrible. Do it, you fucking homophobic slur. The bolt blows into the pig's head, blood spattering on Travis's face. The pig half collapses, still alive now and thrashing in its death throes. You fucked it up. Again. I can't. Again. No. Travis is frozen. Butch grabs the bolt and finishes it off. Victor and Snatch look on, horrified. Still now on the ground, the blood pouring from its head. The pig is hooked by Butch and raised up so it now dangles snout down in front of them. Oh, damn it. Meat's gonna be all gamey now. Tastes like shit. <laughs> he, he grabs a gutting tool from the wall there, 
slices down the belly of the pig and the guts spill out around his shoes. That's how a real man does it. Travis vomits, slipping in the viscera on the floor, covering himself in blood. Butch shakes his head. Look at him now, boys. Nothing like honest work and a little of God's gore to make a paper man crumble. You ain't stepping out of here until you clean up this place, starting with this. And you better not track a speck of blood inside my house. Butch spits out his disgust, stalks out of the killing pen. Cue a visual transition between blood and water in the hallway of the exterior Dairy Home Hospital day. Alvin Marsh, 40s. The gray-skinned janitor, who's Beverly Marsh's father, dumps a bucket of water that ripples down the hallway floor. He's just begun his nightly chore when a bare foot steps into the path of the flowing water. Alvin looks up at a man wearing a hospital gown, his ass hanging out. Beneath it wrinkles, <laughs> beneath its wrinkles, the man's face is familiar to the audience, even without the clown makeup. Cafeteria just closed. Doesn't open till seven. Can't do this with his fucking teeth. Can't sleep. Hungry. It's closed. Alvin, when was the last time a closed door kept either of us from a little taste? Oh, yuck. Marsh shifts uncomfortably. Uh, I know you. When did you move in? I've always been here. Don't you remember? What? Marsh squints at Pennywise, recognition slowly coming into his features. Jesus Christ. Urine soaks Alvin's leg, pooling around his boots. I'm sorry, what page are we on? I had to refresh. 91. Stop at 91. Sorry. That's all right. What a pain. We'll fix it in post. (laughs) That's what post is for. She was so luscious. Yes, she was so luscious. Uh, luscious what a great word moist come on come on come on oh my god come on almost there almost there i don't know what happened to the other two it's fine. All right. Uh, 91. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, so, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, she was so luscious. <laughs> <laughs> we just love that line. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Yeah, go for it. All right. Holy shit. Um, she was so luscious. Only, what, 13? You took your bite, and I took mine. No! A sharp pain in Alvin's side. Mr. Marsh lifts up his shirt, and an ancient scar appears along his side from nowhere, as if he'd been hurt years ago, but the marks of it had disappeared until now. I let you live so the feeding could go on. Even while I slept and dreamed, fear would steam from you. Between fresh white thighs. 
And the creak of a door when daddy slips in for his midnight snack. No, I care for her. I worried for her. I was protecting her from you. I know you did, but it's time, Alvin. You have debts to pay to Mr. Bob from Twin Peaks. (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry the similarities pennywise (laughs) pennywise is meeting marsh's gaze with all the hypnotic power the deadlights provide heavy she hurts us alvin for the first time in eternity her and those bad boys they almost stopped the circus marsh is already under pennywise's control Boys, I told her they're full of bad intentions. I think she needs a reminding. I think they all need remindings. The circus can't stop. Remind them all of who is whose little lady and who is left to float. Pennywise watches Marsh wheel his mopping apparatus off the floor. Keep going out the door as Pennywise himself moves to change out of his disguise. Interior Keene's pharmacy day. Mrs. Kasparak and Eddie are up at the counter with Mr. Keene, who fills the EpiPen prescription. Thank you, Mr. Keene. Eddie, stay here. Mama has some things to get. Mr. Keene <laughs> Mr. Keene smiles thinly as she goes. He looks to Eddie. Wanna pop? I can't. Mama says the sugar. You'll be fine. Come back to my office. I swear I'm not a creep. We'll pretend <laughs> I'm giving you medicine. <laughs> Things a creep would say. <laughs> I have to take a shower after reading Mr. Keen. Oh. Eddie follows Eddie follows Keen in back as Mrs. Kasprak busies herself comparing painkillers. Interior back office, Keene's pharmacy day. Mr. Keene opens a little mini fridge and pulls out a grape crush. Sure, that's what it is. He, <laughs> yeah. he cracks it for Eddie, but doesn't give it right away. He nods to his cast. Kept your, <coughs> sorry. <laughs> Kept your cast pretty clean, I see. You didn't want any of your friends to sign it? Eddie eyes the pop, then the door, getting anxious. I'm not allowed to see them. Why not? Mom says the reason I got hurt. Can I have my pop now? Keen smiles, holds on to it. <laughs> Mother knows best, is that it? Eddie wants to say something, but doesn't. He touches his EpiPen unconsciously. You want your pop? Tell me the truth. In case I ever have, have an episode, she says I could die. Keen smiles. He finally hands Eddie the crush. Eddie takes a long gulp from the bottle, keen looking on. Eddie, you know I treat your mama too. You know for what? Eddie squirms. I don't think we should. Dr. Keen smiles, seemingly enjoying this. Of course, because he's a creepy adult in this movie. (laughs) I'm not smiling but I'll read it. (laughs) (laughs) He he takes the bottle from Eddie and takes a swill of his own. Fears, Eddie. Her head is full of them. Anxiety, depression. 
even, I don't want to scare you, paranoia. Ooh. Fear she, <laughs> you ruined my take. Fear <laughs> she, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, fear she likes to take pills for. Lots and lots of pills. But if she really took as many pills as she pops, well, she might pop too. You know, like a terrible reference to, uh, I'm not going to read that, Skip. <laughs> he considers his next thought, then leans in too close for comfort for Eddie, handing back the bottle. For a moment, it's creepy, like we could expect him to morph into Pennywise. You know what a placebo is. Sorry. Interior Will's bedroom, day. Will sits on the edge of his bed, Richie's bar mitzvah invitation in hand. He looks out the window to Richie's house, presses the walkie-talkie to talk, but doesn't know what to say. Crackle, crackle. Arguing comes from outside his door. Put it back up there. Put it back now. I just thought someone else. Interior Will's house, hallway, continuous. His mother stands at the bottom of the attic stairs, blocking his father, who holds the chest of Georgie's toys. I don't care about anyone else. This is all we have left of him. Oh, hey! <laughs> they both startle and look at Will standing there. Willie, we need a minute. Why, to scream at each other? This is between your father and me. And Georgie, right? You, Dad, and Georgie? Willie, stop. I hate this. Tiptoeing around like you guys I, I don't exist. Like I'm the one who died and the only one who's here is still... Flap. His mother hits him hard. She instantly regrets it. Runs down the stairs, sobbing. Zach reaches out a comforting hand. Son. I miss Georgie, too. We know. You know what any of us kids are going through? Doubt it. Will shoulders past his father and runs out the door. Will, wait. Exterior Will <clears throat> Denbro's house, day. Will rushes out, jumps on his bike and pedals away, passing the storm drain on his way. Exterior Travis Bowers' backyard, day. Travis finishes cleaning up the pig guts per his dad's orders. He stares at the last of the pumpkin of the pinkish water as it circles down the drain in some kind of daze. You okay, Travis? Uh, sorry, I, I had to I had to reload the script as well. Yeah. What were we were ninety five? Hey, yeah, you're Six. in top of ninety six now. Top of ninety six. Yeah. Okay. I am well that refreshes. I'm gonna pee, but just keep going as soon as <laughs> sorry. Almost there. 95 is the top of 96. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It starts with an odd wind. Okay, thank you. Got it. Okay. An odd, wind, an odd wind stirs through the grass around them there. A yellow menacing gathering of clouds overhead. Travis suddenly notices a balloon bobbing over his mailbox, string connected to something stuffed inside. Travis pushes huh? past his two cronies and opens the mailbox, an orange light emanating from within the deadlights. Inside, he pulls out the Rambo knife, the one he lost at the beginning. Yes. A murderous look screws onto Travis's face as he turns his attention to his shack of a house and his paw inside. Travis snaps the string and starts towards the front door with the knife. 
as the balloon rises up, it begins to rain. Interior Eddie Kasprak's house, day. Mrs. Kasprak stands with a bag from the pharmacy in hand. Eddie confronts her, eyes blazing. Mrs. Kasprak. Oh, sorry. I totally spaced out. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Who told you that, Mr. Keene? That man has no right to say you're making up your sicknesses. Not me, Mama. You. What? He says I was never allergic until you made me start carrying around my EpiPen. You put those allergies in my head. That's a lie. A bold-faced lie. The only thing I want in this world is to keep you safe and happy. Then, then why did you send my friends away? She starts to feel the fluttery bird of panic. You were, you, you were sick when you were little. So, so very sick. You lied to me, Mama. You've been giving me medicine that's not really medicine. Eddie Bear, please. He throws his EpiPen at her feet. Mrs. Kasprek gasps. <gasps> My friends made me feel safe, and it wasn't just pretend. So this is how it's going to be. Thunder claps outside. Exterior streets of dairy, day. Will, still flushed with anger at his confrontation, bikes up to Beverly's house through the rain. He's about to go up to it when he sees... Mr. Marsh, walk up and head inside. Interior Beverly's apartment, day. Beverly, dressed in a pretty white dress and naively over made up, and naively over made up face, heads for the door. She grabs an umbrella. You're looking pretty up, Bevy. Where are you going, eh? Uh, bar mitzvah. I told Ma. He pats his knee, waves her over. Mm. Well, come over here. Give your daddy a minute. She reluctantly goes over, gives him a kiss. He snatches her wrist as she pulls away. You know, I worry about you, baby. I worry a lot. I know, Daddy. She tries to go, but he holds on to her wrist. People in town got to saying some things to me about you sneaking around all summer long with a pack of boys, only girl to the pack. They're just friends, Daddy, I swear. I know what's in them boys' minds when they look at you, Bevy, all too well. He squeezes harder. It begins to hurt. Daddy, my hand. Your ma says you're a woman now. What's that mean? You've been doing womanly things down the woods with those boys? He jerks her closer to him, proprietary. proprietary. Nothing. Please, Daddy, you, you don't have to worry, I promise. No? What's this? He pulls out Ben's haiku poem. <sighs> it's nothing, it's just a poem. A poem? You scrolled away in your undies drawer. Why would you want to hide it there, Bevy? He looks at her legs. Slip down those tights. What? I need you to prove to me you're still mine. She doesn't see. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't yeah. see, but a balloon drags down the hallway towards them. Mr. Marsh grapples for the ugh, for the top of her. Yeah. Uh, How do you think I feel? <laughs> <laughs> no. Daddy? Bev rustles away, falling back and smacking her head on the floor. She starts crabbing away in her back. Her dad lunges on top of her, struggling to control her. Don't make this look ugly, Bev. 
you're making this, you know, it isn't ugly. Please stop. He starts to undo his belt, one uh, hand on her neck like a vice. Them little boys, Bevy. Do they know you're my special one? Do they? Bev knees him in the balls. Her father yes. was still crumbling down. She kicks him in the face as hard as she can, yes. his head flying back into the side of the door. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he really has yeah, blue balls. Beverly tries to race out the door, but he snatches her ankle and she trips into the hallway. By the time she's up, he's lunging towards her. She stumbles back into the bathroom and shuts the door, trying to lock herself inside. He kicks the door open before the lock catches. Without thinking, Beb grabs the toilet top and smashes it into her dad's crown. Yes. Down yeah. unconscious. Yes. She rushes out, chopping. Right, <laughs> she rushes sorry. out, propping a chair uh, against the knob to shut him in the bathroom, then races out the front door. Bye. Interior, <laughs> interior exterior Keene's pharmacy day. Bev emerges from the elevator and runs past Mr. Keene, stocking shelves, knocking a few boxes. She bursts outside and nearly collides with Will, tears running down her face, pretty dress getting soaked in the rain. Now, what happened? I don't want to talk about it. She looks back over her shoulder, terrified and wet and shivering. Mr. Keene glares at her through the storefront. I saw your dad come home from work early. I said, forget about it. You sure? She starts to cry, but keeps her distance from the boys. Bev? She heaves on Will's shoulder. He looks up at the storming sky. Something big is happening, and they both know it. I'm not a bad person. I know. Whoever made you feel like that, they're wrong. But we, we don't do that. We look out for each other, don't we? She looks up and nods, her face twisted in pain. Please, don't say anything to the others. Will pretends to lock his mouth with an invisible key, then throws it away. Bev smiles, grateful and exhausted. She pulls out a cigarette and holds in, it in her shaky hand. I thought Mike... Honk, honk. Mike swings by in an old farmhand pickup. What do you think? It's the first time my dad's let me use the pickup for something other than a delivery? They pile in the front seat, barely able to see over the dash. Mike lights her smoke with the car lighter and they rumble off. Interior, synagogue, day... With the torrential downpour outside, water starts to drip from cracks in the ceiling. Guests slide for dray spots along slippery benches. Up front, Richie stands behind, beside his dad, the rabbi, nervously reading a verse from a scroll. He glances at his proud mom, then at Ben and Back, who wears an ill-fitting sport jacket and his girly jeans. Slam! Richie stops mid-reading and everybody looks back towards the door, blown open by the wind, and at Eddie, who was sheepishly trying to slip in. Richie smiles at Eddie, pleased he's out of mom jail. Eddie slides in meekly next to Ben and clips on his bow tie. Hey. Where's everybody else? Ben shrugs. Up front, Richie continues reciting his verse. Interior, Travis Bowers' house, day. The front door creaks open, Victor and Snatch poking their heads in, both soaked to the bone. Travis? Mr. Bowers? Nothing. They see a streak of blood on the floor that leads to the kitchen and Butch Bowers on the linoleum floor in a red pool, stabbed dozens of times. Holy fuck. A cat laps up the blood. Victor vomits. Travis, dude, you okay? 
Snatch continues on into the living room where he finds Travis sitting in Butch's favorite lazy boy in front of the TV, which is turned on to Pennywise the Clown Show. He holds the knife, all slicked in blood, his eyes glazed. It's my knife now. He turns and looks at Snatch and Victor in the doorway. Interior, synagogue, day. The storm growls outside, building up. The leaks in the ceiling have turned into constant drops. Ben and Eddie swap looks, a little on edge. Richie, still up front, is now on to the Devar Torah part of the ceremony, where he reflects on what he's just read. Uh, so uh, I, I guess what I like about what I read is, it's, is what it says about indifference. Like when you're a kid. Slam. Again, the doors crash open and Richie stops, looking up. Will, Bev, and Mike slink into the back of the synagogue, soaking wet. The rabbi's wife shoots them a lethal gaze. They slip in next to Eddie and Ben. Will nods to Eddie, glad to see him escaped. Go on, Richard. Finish your thought. Someone in back, tired of the water, opens an umbrella. As Richie continues his speech, everyone in the synagogue opens their umbrella against the leaky roof. Uh... Well, when you're a kid, you think the universe kind of revolves around you, that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then one day something bad happens and you realize that's not true. Suns go out and animals go extinct and countries go crazy and kill people like they don't like and none of it seems to matter. Kids get sick, good friends, or someone gets sick in your family, or maybe you do. And all that makes you feel alone, like you're by yourself in a world that could care less who lives or dies, where, where nothing counts. That's why our friends and faith and family are so important. As long as we have a connection to each other, there's a point. If we count to each other, things matter. We do. Even if to the universe, we don't. With all the open umbrellas, it's like a funeral in there. Richie looks to his friends, Will, Ben, Bev, Mike, and Eddie. Tears run down Bev's cheek. Interior bingo hall, day. Richie's reception is bumping. Endless buffets of smoked salmon. Old people dancing. <laughs> Bump a little. Come on. Old people dancing. A bad DJ. Richie shakes hands with family and well-wishers near the front door. Will, Mike, Bev, Eddie, and Ben come up? Heads, you escaped. It wasn't exactly Alcatraz. Great speech, Richie. Seriously. Thanks, guys. Uh, glad I didn't embarrass anyone yet. Night is young. He looks to Will sorrowfully. Can you guys come outside with me for a sec? Exterior bingo hall, day. Step outside, gathered under an overhang, wind and rain blowing around them. Ben is the last one out and lets the door slam behind him. Ben, no. What? Mike tries the handle. It's locked. Knocks for someone to open. No answer. I just want to apologize to all of you. I'm sorry. I, I'm glad you came. All the stuff that's been happening, just a lot to take. They don't see Travis, Snatch, and Victor roll up in the Trans Am. Out the window. Our invitation must have uh, got lost in the mail. Ben tries to open the door again. It's still locked. We don't want any trouble, Travis. Travis steps out and pulls out his giant Rambo knife, still caked with blood. Neither do I. No trouble at all. Oh, we're on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) The end. (laughs) Best ending ever. (laughs)
<laughs> ben kicks a garbage can at the charging bullies. Run! The kids run off. Bowers and his goons stumble over the garbage, lose a step, and take chase. Exterior Canal Street Bridge, day. Crossing the bridge, Bev slips, Ben catching her. Sorry. You really gotta pick a new secret password. Okay. Winter fire? Oh. <laughs> he looks shyly away. Something finally <laughs> something finally dawns on her. With Travis right on their tails, there's no time to process this revelation. Will grabs them both. What are you doing? Having a moment that'll pay off 30 years later? <laughs> Come on. Just <laughs> sprinkle a sexual tension. They run off towards exterior dairy public library day the kids run up the steps to the library just as the doors are closed and locked inside is mrs starrett we're closed please we need your help open the door she disappears into the gloom of the library they look back at bowers and the others racing toward them up the stairs they jump the rail into the bushes just as the bullies get there they fall over themselves as they reverse course exterior richard's alley day Will, Eddie, Mike, Richie, Bev, and Ben race up to a dairy police cruiser sitting in the alley. Because of the rain, it's hard to see inside. Help! They start rapping on the windows, surprising Borton, along with whoever was just down in his lap, the bingo caller who wipes her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Borton. Thanks. <laughs> Gotta admit, it was kind of touch and go there for a while. <laughs> Travis and his goons see the kids around the police car stop dead in their tracks, instead retreating around the block. Borton, horrified, quickly zips up but doesn't roll down the window. The kids are just as startled and frozen. Mike leads them past the car down Richard's Alley. Exterior, Center Street, day. The kids race out of Richard's Alley past the mural, Pennywise now not in the painting. The door bursts open from Keene's pharmacy across the street, and Mr. Keene stalks out, wagging his finger at Bev. Bev! What did you do to your daddy? Mr. Marsh staggers out behind, forehead all bloody from the toilet tank. There you are, fucking cunt. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, so, sorry, sorry. 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 Not sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Need a new password. <laughs> fire everybody winter fire i'm <laughs> sorry 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 yeah we're back will leads them over the kissing bridge and into exterior the barons day the kids race through the woods and come to a dead end at a stream boiling with rapids that makes it too dangerous to cross mr marsh chases after them from not far behind suddenly the sound of wolves comes from the other direction this is not happening. This is not really happening. He points. Travis and his goons come running over the other burn, howling like beasts. Our kids are trapped. <laughs> Our kids are trapped. Will looks over at the sewer pipe, the one where they found Dorsey's shoe, which spews a vile muck into the stream. Will and the others clamber into the pipe. All but Eddie, who is hesitant. He finally steals himself and follows as... Mr. Marsh comes bounding down on the area, splashing into the river. He looks around, unsure where they went. Clang! He swings his eyes to the sewer pipe. All he can see is blackness, but he knows what's within it. He smiles. In the dark of the pipe, the kids watch him creep toward the entrance. Beverly picks up a rock. 
I won't hurt you, baby. You're my girl. I just want to give you a little reminder. Will, <laughs> Will grabs Bev's hand and leads the other deeper into the sewer tunnel away from her dad. Mr. Marsh about to chase after them when he is pulled back. I think Henry froze. Oh no, everybody froze. It's my right. turn, isn't it? Yep. yep. <laughs> I'm going in there. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Okay, I'm back. 107, you're not going in there. Oh, you're not going in there. Victor and Snatch watch their friend fearfully. If you think I'm going to let you lay a hand on my daughter. Irate, Marsh lunges, then stops. Travis jerks his arm up into Marsh's chest, twisting his blade and scraping the man's spine. He looks at Travis in shock as he falls to the forest floor. Blood oozes from his stomach. Jesus, Travis. This is too crazy. Snatch runs off. Victor runs after. Travis leans down over Mr. Marsh, blood bubbling from his mouth. He wipes off the bloody blade into his shirt. Well, old man, you paid your debt. Travis stalks off into the tunnels, howling like a wolf. Interior sewer pipe, day. The kids race deep into the pipe, groping through the darkness and sloshing through shit and storm water. Travis's howls echoing all around them. We sense, some- <laughs> we sense something is watching them from the shadows, ready to jump out at any turn. At some point, the stone and concrete pipe turns to a larger brick tunnel. They are back under downtown. I'm gonna eat you, fuckers! <laughs> Is that your dad? It's Bowers. Finally, after a few wrong turns, the kids see a welcome shaft of light ahead and head for it, coming to interior, the old dairy well, they, the original well dug by the Puritan settlers. The kids race in, only to stop short of falling into a black, mucky pool of water at the base of the well. Its surface is littered with floating debris, toys from all eras, children's clothes, nests of matted hair, Trinkets from children from many, many different eras. This is Pennywise's collecting den. What is all of this? Oh my god. The well. They all look up. A dead end. We're dead. So dead. Travis's bellows get closer and closer, almost upon them. The other side. He takes Bev's hand and she takes Ben's and on down the line. The kids begin to traverse the narrow ledge around the wall of the well, toes of their sneakers hanging over the pool. Above them, gnarled roots of trees pry their way through the rib cage of the ceiling. Interior, the old dairy well, day. Travis charges in, immediately tripping into the water. He doesn't go through to the other side, instead finding himself waist deep in the pool, surrounded by the grotesquerie of its killing sprees. A bloated corpse rolls over and Travis recognizes its half-eaten face, Patrick Hockstetter. Come float with us, Travis. Ah! Travis screams and starts knifing the corpse. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> Interior planetarium tunnel day. The kids can hear his muffled screams. Will jumps up, helping the others to their feet. Keep moving. This tunnel is quite different from the last, almost fantastical. It's made of brick, behind which pinpoints of light shine through where the grout would be, as if they were stars in a long cylindrical wormhole. Instead of water rushing at their feet, the water is still as glass, reflecting the light like stars. 
At first, there's just a smattering of starlight around them, like what you'd see in town. But as they go deeper, the stars become more and more vibrant, twinkle as if deep in the wilderness. Starlight the Puritans no doubt would have witnessed. It's beautiful. The light starts to shift and dance around them. Everyone stops, mesmerized. Whoa. Will feels something brushed by his feet. He looks down. The paper boat. It floats down the tunnel and disappears around a bend. Will slowly follows it. Before anyone notices, he disappears the same dark bend. Bev finally registers that he's gone, turns to look. Nowhere to be seen. Will? Interior planetarium tunnel around the bend. Day. Will finds boats circling in a puddle at the bottom of a set of stairs. The shifting pinpoints of light all around Will seem to coalesce above him, and suddenly the quality of light changes into daylight. Will looks up and suddenly finds himself looking out of interior, exterior, storm drain at Witcham and Jackson, day. The very same Georgie was killed at. He can see Bev, Mike, Richie, Ben, and Eddie congregated just outside the storm drain, actively searching for their missing friend. It's still storming, water pouring in. Will? Yo, Willie? Guys, guys, I'm down here. Maybe he went this way? His friends disappear out of sight, leaving him alone. No, wait, I'm in the drain, the storm drain. Georgie. It sinks in, the horror of where he is. He ever so slowly looks behind him. He sees a small pipe oozing bile, the same one Pennywise first appeared from to Georgie. Will places the paper boat in the mouth of it, and it's swallowed up. With nowhere else to go, Will follows it. Interior planetarium tunnel, day. Bev leads the others in the hunt for Will, but they can't seem to find the same bend or incline that he did. The pinpoints of light around them spin and twinkle with increased intensity, which begins to get disorienting. I'm getting a headache. Keep looking. Will. Interior bile pipe day. Will wriggles on his belly down the pitch black pipe, now from almost now almost neck deep in water. A surge of storm water comes from behind, submerging him and flushing him forward into interior Will's basement day. Will pops up in his flooded basement, looking just the same as the night that he saw Georgie in it. Only there's no Georgie, no Pennywise, just Will and the sound of the TV blaring upstairs. He scrambles to his feet and runs upstairs. Interior, Will's house, day. Will emerges into the kitchen, sees a cake on the table, and runs out into the living room where Zach and Sharon Denbro are sitting on the couch watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang on TV. Mom, Dad? No response. Will jumps in front of the TV. They look right through him as if he's invisible. They speak to each other, but it sounds as if they were underwater. Like the 4th of July parade, Will is utterly confused. Guys, what are you talking about? His dad rises up and walks past Will to the kitchen. Will tries to grab him and recoils his hand back in pain as if he was burned on a stove. He steps back and looks at his mom, who is mesmerized again by the TV. Horror fills him. No. He turns around, looks down the stairs into the basement, looking back at him. Spotlit and smiling 
is Pennywise. Interior planetarium tunnel, day. Bev staggers and catches herself on the wall, dizzy. The light now spins around them as if they're doing some jettison spacecraft, tumbling wildly in space, getting brighter, ever brighter. Will? Guys? She stares at the ring on her hand, trying to focus on it as a stationary point. The strobing effect mesmerizes her as it has all the kids. Eddie, Mike, Ben and Richie frozen like dear children in the headlights, deadlights. The light is so bright now all around them that it seems like white skies, roots of the ceiling mirrored in the water at their feet as if trees above and below. This image, it warps and wraps the mirrored parts into a spherical 360 degree view. The frozen kids caught in a reflection as we pull out of Pennywise's eye. We're now back in interior Will's house day. Pennywise is searching Will's house. Will hides under the piano, watches his heart pounding out of his chest. Pennywise leaps. Will backs away from his swiping claw. Will scrambles onto the piano and runs into the living room, trying to hide behind his parents. Pennywise lunges again, swipes, hits the mother who instantly dissipates into water. Pennywise's claw slashes him across the chest. He falls back in pain. Pennywise is about to lunge at Will when he turns. Something has caught his attention. We push into his eye, turning into the 360-degree view again that becomes the planetarium tunnel. Interior planetarium tunnel, day. All of the kids are in a catatonic state as we push into Beverly, who is snapped out of her days in the tunnel's light. The tunnel's light show so suddenly stabilizing. She looks at Mike, still mesmerized, and grabs his hand. She crawls on top of him, her face next to his, trying to block the light with her head. Also, he snaps out of his state, focusing on her pretty eyes. Don't let go of my hand. She goes from loser to loser, putting a tender hand in each kid's face, holding hands, making and retaining a chain of contact until they are all snapped out of their days. What happened? Beverly looks down the tunnel to where all of the pinpoints of light have now collected, finally able to see around the bend that Will disappeared behind. His is visible now. Beverly? Ooh. Oh, sorry. Will! In a web of light, some sort of 3D matrix that in some fashion conforms to the physical reality of his house, which he's chased around by now what appears to them to be a giant orange gas. It lunges at Will as we cut back to interior Will's house day. Pennywise lunging at Will as he runs upstairs. His house seems to twist Escher-esque up and down and sideways and no longer agreeing with gravity. He struggles but makes it up to the attic where it is dark. Rain still pelts the roof. Water leaks all around him. It's quiet. Too quiet. Interior, around the bend, light matrix, day. Bev and the others see Will race away from the gas as they climb into the dense matrix, trying to make it to their friend. They maneuver and get through a web of light like mice in a maze. Will comes running right towards them and Bev reaches out. And then the orange gas appears to block him and Will backtracks, appearing to climb rungs of a maze up to interior Will's attic playroom. 
day. Will backs into a corner. Shadow and light seem to shift subtly. Every dark pillar, a potential iteration of it. Fear courses through him. He realizes he has no hope. A lightness comes over him, a feeling that those who have only accepted imminent death feel. He closes his eyes and leans back into the darkness. Interior around the bend, light matrix day. Bev continues to squirm in the matrix. She is so close to Will now, who seems to be facing one way, the door, when the orange gas is sneaking in around them. No, Will! Interior, Will's attic playroom day. Pennywise crawls upside down on the ceiling towards Will. He opens his mouth for the kill. Interior, around the bend, light, light matrix day. Ben throws a rock at the orange gas, the rock passing right through. Interior, Will's attic playroom, day. Pennywise draws a quick breath, sensing the rock. Will looks back just in time to scramble away, right into interior, around the bend, light matrix, day. The arms of Beverly, who wraps him in a hug. Interior, Will's attic playroom, day. The whole reality of Will's house, the walls, the toys, collapse like dust sending Will and Pennywise interior storm drain at the Witcham and Jackson day back into the reality of the other kids who up until now didn't realize that this is where they were. It's just a tight, dark stone space. The site of the first killing all of the kids together, hugging Will and in the shadows cornered Pennywise. It looks shocked scared vulnerable will and the kids sense this he grabs a rock and throws it at the clown a little puff of orange gas expelling like blood the other kids take this cue and grab rocks and whatever else they can find and go lord of the flies on it they pelt and beat and stone pennywise into every corner he tries to escape to the creature shirking and shrieking with every hit it is savage and cathartic Finally, Will grabs a huge rock to smash its face in and looks down to see Georgie. I'm going to do it at the same time. <laughs> All right, let's go. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right, All right let's go. All right, let's, go. All right, let's do All it. Right. One, two, three. Two, three. Please, please, don't let your friends hurt more. Will stops himself. Georgie? I'm in here, I'm here Willie. We all we are. are. This, this is, is the place where we float. <laughs> Will, it's a trick. It's, it's not, not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> so great. I can't Flawless. think of anything more appropriate than this right now. <laughs> not. not not your, your fault. fault. I'm, I'm stuck, stuck here, but, but you're, you're hurting, hurting me, Hurt. hurting us all. Oh. <laughs> God, we're in the black lodge right now. We're in the black lodge. How's Annie? How's Annie? Exactly. Yeah. How's it's trying to get you, Will. We can kill it together. What is Shamal for all of us? For Georgie. 
Please, Dwelly. You'll kill me. You feel like I'm on SNL. <laughs> yeah. Will cacaws, but Georgie can't, but Georgie doesn't respond correctly. Suddenly, Pennywise's face looks up from Georgie's rain slicker, and Will comes down with a huge rock into its skull. A giant orange cloud expels from Pennywise as he crumbles into dust, the cloud shooting through and past all of them, turning every empty space of their reality into a rush of water. Suddenly, Will, Bev, Ben, Richie, Mike, and Ben find themselves submerged, tumbling into a rush of water, swimming and clawing and trying to get their bearings, none of them knowing which way is up as they whoosh around the swoop soup of debris. Interior, the old dairy well, day. Travis looks at an old Indian necklace as the orange gas avalanches past him, also oh. suddenly submerging him in water. He tumbles with what we think are all the rest of the losers until he sees that they are bodies, all of the bodies of murdered kids. All seems lost until exterior abattoir day. Travis and all of the bodies are disgorged into the pig pond at the abattoir. The arriving worker stops in his tracks and sees Travis awash with dozens of children's bodies. Yay! Ex exterior the quarry day the six kids pop up at the surface one by one they slump soaked shivering and exhausted next to each other on the embankment mike bev ben eddie richie and will all breathe hard as the adrenaline of survival courses through their veins blinking owlishly against the daylight sparkling in through the glistening leaves of the woods the storm has passed and the sky is clear. Exterior Baron's Day. The corpse of a boy in a yellow slicker is disgorged onto a stream from the pipe where Will found Dorsey's shoe. As we push in, it is unmistakably the dead body of Georgie. Cut to title card, September. Interior Beverly's house, Day. Beverly's mother, dressed in black, is surrounded by mourners, some of which we saw hanging out watching baseball, who offer their hushed condolences. A framed photo of a grinning Alvin Marsh sits on top of the table, surrounded by candles and cheap flowers. That's all he deserved. <laughs> Beverly stares at it unemotionally, sneaking in a smoke. She crushes it out in one of the candles there, an act of defiance. Suddenly, a rapping at the window come from behind. It's Will, out on the fire escape. He waves to her. Interior, exterior, Beverly's fire escape. Day. Beverly crawls out. The gang is all there, drinking sodas. Will, Richie in new glasses. Ben, Eddie, now out of his cast. And Mike, who hands Bev an orange crush from his knapsack. You see it? What? Will nods to Ben, who pulls out the newspaper. On the front page, we see Travis, hair now shock white, in a blue jumpsuit being escorted by Borton and the other cops. The headline reads, Bowers boy confesses to child murder spree. My daddy, My daddy made, made me do it. Will plead, <laughs> <laughs> Will plead insanity. 
it's all over the news. They're saying Travis and his dad did all the killing. They have no idea. Beverly stares at the picture of Travis, a pit in her gut. Wear it, guys. She looks to Will, who knows exactly what she's thinking, his face sober and thoughtful. He takes his soda bottle by the neck and shatters it against a brick. What are we swearing? She puts her hand out, palm up, and Will slashes it. Dude! She looks to Will, who slashes his own hand. Whatever happens, if it isn't dead, we'll all come back. Swear. Bev and Will clasp slashed hands, a blood oath. Are the clear ones. Is no one worried about AIDS? <laughs> ben, then Mike, then Richie each follow suit, getting their hands slashed by the bottle. They look at Eddie, who begrudgingly slashes his own. They all hold hands and silently swear their solidarity. Exterior, back of Beverly's apartment later. Will, Eddie, Ben, and Richie wave goodbye to Beverly. All their hands have fresh band-aids. They cool losers. Beverly and Will lock eyes as they get further apart as Eddie waves goodbye to the rest of the boys. Where are you going? I've got fresh-caught lawn I want to roll around on. I see y'all later, too. have to help my dad out. Ben turns down another street. You, too? My mom wants me to help her with a jigsaw puzzle. Is that a metaphor or something? <laughs> ben In shakes this movie? his head. Ben shakes his head laughing and goes... <laughs> <laughs> Exterior, Witcham Street, day. Will stops in front of Richie's house. What the hell am I going to do when you're away? Everyone's got strange new hobbies. Well, you've still got one good hand. Want my mom's mm-hmm. playgirls? Richie gives Will a playful noogie, then heads in. Will walks up to his own front door, notes of a familiar piano piece coming from inside. Charles Ives. His heart lifted, Will runs in. Interior, Will's house, day. Sharon is at the piano playing, again lost in her own world. She stops and looks at her son, staring in the doorway. You'll come visit? His mom comes over and puts a hand on his cheek. All so stupid. It'll be fine. You'll do the trip to Acadia with your dad, and we'll take our own trip for Christmas. That's not fair. Uh, honey, who said life was going to be fair? She kisses him. She nods to Zach standing in the stairwell, grabs the suitcases and heads outside. Exterior Will's house, day. Zach hugs Will. Going to be different, but we'll have fun. You ready, champ? Will nods. Zach closes the trunk. Interior Will's wagoner, moving day. They pull out of the driveway when suddenly his dad slams on the brakes. Beverly stands in front of the car. You'll get yourself run over, darling. Exterior, Will's Wagoner, day. Will and Bev stand feet away from the car. I just want you to know. What? Even if we don't talk or even if we're not best friends next year, all of you mean a lot to me. What do you mean? Of course we'll be friends. We're we're the Losers Club. 
I know. But high school, growing up, friends become strangers. I just want you to know you are important to me. Will nods. You won't forget. No. Promise? Promise. Never forget. Georgie loved you. She smiles, turns, and skips away. Exterior, dairy, sky over it, day. As Will's wagon drives off, we rise up, up, up over Will's neighborhood, and then high over dairy and the rivers and all the black pines as far as the eye can see until we come to a floating red balloon.